Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 188, A Dance with Dragons, the Iron Suitor, Victorian, featuring Aziz from History of Westeros. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, your other host today, I don't know if he needs any introduction. <laughs> Aziz, thank you so much for coming on. I think a majority of our listeners know where to find you, but please tell us where to find History of Westeros and what you all have been doing lately. I caught up with the Krieg and Stark patron stream the other day. What's, what's coming? Well, thank you for having me. That's the most gracious introduction. I really enjoy talking about Victorian because he's such a strange, unusual POV. Not a good man, but a good set of chapters. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about him. And where you can find History of Westeros is, well, Googling History of Westeros would probably give you a few different options. But we're on YouTube and all the podcast platforms mm. primarily. And uh, that's a great way to get started. Yeah, there's a lot of episodes. Yeah. A lot of episodes to jump in there. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we stay consistent. I, it's, uh, that's it's a fun thing to be. <laughs> I've got a cat here, a recording buddy, that uh, you, you all can just imagine. And honestly, that's the, the real secret to our success is lots of cats. They are very conducive to podcasting. Pro tip. Podcasting. <laughs> yes. Behind every good podcast, there is at least one plus cats <laughs> that are executive producing the podcast. And that is an industry secret. I don't think you're going to learn that anywhere else on the internet. Only here. That's why our podcast is produced by Ali and Jake. Yeah, thank Well, no, Jake's the intern still. I think he's due we, for a we promotion. We still haven't decided whether to bring him on full time. Yeah, you're right. We should, probably should. We probably should. It's a conflict of interest thing. He's also working for the other podcast in the community. Uh, anyways, it's a long story, but... Uh, yeah, he's got a non-compete. Non-compete, non-compete. <laughs> Aziz, Eliana has been telling me, and I have not been on all of the social medias. I've been telling everyone. She's especially been telling me, I feel like, that you have some seafaring pets at home, not just cats. Yes, indeed. And that is perhaps the true secret to why I have maybe some insight into Victorian's chapters because of his experience at sea and my experience with freshwater aquariums, which is very similar to sailing across yeah. the oceans it's exactly and reaving and plundering. It's really similar, I say. I have some fish that are like it's two same. inches long and, oh and some shrimp that are even smaller than that. And yeah, I, I've been a fan of aquariums since I was a kid. And and I've recently been getting back into it. It's one of those things you kind of go in and out of, I suppose, as a hobby, well, at least when you're my age and you've had time to have cycles of things like that where things you're interested in become cool again, you know? That's a, that's a weird phenomenon, right? <laughs> like, this was yeah. cool when I was in my 20s, and now it's cool again. It's true what they say. Wow. <laughs> but we were talking about fish. Yeah, everything comes back yeah. into fashion. Every. It's like a cycle, you know? We were talking about that on our Sailor Moon episode, right? Like, I mean, obviously that was that was a big deal for us growing up, disappeared for a while, and now it's blown up even bigger than before, which is exciting. Fish have always been there, though. You know, fish, they, they predate God. us as a people. You know, <laughs> outlast us I if we stop spilling shit. I was walking around with a Shea shout out to a Shea the other day, and, and we saw some 
artfully arranged rocks on in a parking lot. And I was like, oh. you know what? Stone, the original decoration. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I thought, why am I yes, not in are. marketing? And yeah. For stones, yeah. Yeah, I used to be really into collecting rocks, so I feel that. Also. Big money in that. Not even like good ones. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> Pet rocks. That was a big thing, too, for a while there. So speaking of rocks, next week we'll be back with Victoria <laughs> Young in, in Dance of Dragons. Damn. Damn. I mean, isn't George did do him like that. call him dumb as a bag of... Isn't that a direct quote from George, dumb as a bag of rocks or something like that? Or Yes. Did he say I think something that, like that? I, it may like have him. been that exact phrase, but it was something to that effect, if not. So yeah, Eliana, she, she nailed it. I mean, just... Perfect insight. <laughs> uh, yes, we'll be back with Victorian One in Adabada, and after that, we will be starting a new POV. Who could it be? Who could it be? Well, you'll find out on our next episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, but we're going to still be keeping with a little more Victorian this month. We do have one more Victorian chapter that we will be covering for our Patreon episode. That's the Winds of Winter Victorian chapter that, again, it is my first time experiencing this April for our Patreon episode for patrons in the $5 tier and above. And last month, we had our Meat House Man episode. Yeah, I'm excited for that T-Wow discussion because it's it's not a complete chapter, but it gives us a lot, I think. Not a complete look, but a lot of a look at what's to come. We also have a Discord for our patrons in the Thunder tier and above. That's the $10 and up tier where we chat about anything and everything, whether it is the box of rocks that is Victorian or <laughs> if we want to talk about Sailor Moon, which our episodes as we started last month, have been coming out on the last Friday of each month. So tune in for that at the end of April for episode two, season two of Sailor Moon, Crystal. And we'll also have a brunch over at Discord pretty soon. Brunch slash happy hour. We'll announce that date for our patrons very soon. But it's a fun time where you get to chat with fellow fans, like-minded buddies that like the stuff you like, which is kind of cool. I think that's all the events we have going, but I'm sure we have some stuff cooking up now that the His Dark Materials rewatch has completed. I think they've got some stuff in store, like they want to rewatch some Firefly, and there was even talk of Love Island, if I recall. Well, I don't know if anyone's actually watching that, plus the winter season just ended. I hear they're doing starting to do two seasons a year, so they might do a summer season as well. I'm not about to go down that rabbit hole right now, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I it took you for a second with, with the winter season your eyes got a little crazy <laughs> you your eyes were like i saw I was, it i was i was i was ready to Ooh. go right now i'm watching love is blind if we're talking about reality tv that's our current thing but if you want to talk about other tv that uh we do actually have a channel for on our discord we have succession yes that's a thing that Pretty people enjoy if you do well at love me. is blind you get to go to love island is that how it works that might be why i <laughs> confuse them com- i'm sorry <laughs> They're two completely different premises. Mm. Love Island is definitely, like, you definitely see people. <laughs> Love is Blind is... How else would you find not, the island? Hmm. Not like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Aziz and I are getting um, majorly educated today. Wow. On, on love. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could tell you all more about The Bachelor, but I don't know anything about that. But I feel like that's an OG amongst the dating show, reality shows, you know? That does seem like it's been around that a long time. That one's been going on for a long yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Ages. Yeah. Back in the day, we had, like, Joe Millionaire and The Bachelor, okay? I don't know this Love is Blind Island shit. I'll try it for you. I don't know. The Real World. I remember that one. 
Oh my. Yeah. Oh yes. That wasn't is real. R- actually very real though was it i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> not i don't know if any of them are i mean maybe that was a it little was raw, the real but, fake you know. world the fake real world mm. <laughs> i prefer to think of them as the like the truman show the truman show they're sketch comedy they get a premise and they go with it the writers write a premise and they tell them to go with it <laughs> yeah. sketch comedy but none of them are uh. Comedians or actors, so <laughs> every now and then you get That's comedians true. for some. Some of them things, work but, out pretty well too, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and they hope to be actors for some of them too, for sure. Interesting, interesting. That's true. It's a stepping stone, another type of stone. Well, <laughs> to bring it all back. <laughs> yeah, the original, uh, the original decoration. Um, Euron is using Victorian as a stepping stone, kind of. Yeah, a whole bag yeah. of stones. Hmm. They did Whoa. go across the step stones. <laughs> we'll keep jamming that in there repeatedly. And we have a lane stone and Maya stone too. <laughs> Eliana. <laughs> so I pulled out a couple of things from our Discord uh, for of things people have said in reaction to the previous Victorian episode that ended Feast. One of which was in regards to a loophole, perhaps. Victorian, Victorian, as you all know, does not feel like he can kill Euron because he'd be cursed as a kinslayer. So one of our patrons, John, suggested, uh, what about a light to moderate maiming? Just like take Euron's eyes and all his fingers, then turn him over to his thralls. These ironborn have no creativity. Like there are no good guys here, but there are a million ways to deal with a guy this horrible. Hmm. Uh, I, it sounds like the Vargo Hote experience. Yeah. yeah. That's what a goat would do, not what a bag of rocks would do. Oh my God. <laughs> or a kraken. That's not what a, perhaps a kraken would I guess would you do. have to ask yourself in general, what would a bag of rocks do? And if it's not this, then no. <laughs> yeah. He just would Brusquely said by John. He didn't think Brusquely of it. said. <laughs> I did think it like reminded me a little of what, I have no mouth and I must scream. And I was yeah. like, oh, I could see George go in that direction. But how do you deal with an evil of that level? You know, got a good point. And then our friend Maddie also said, in reaction to us being like, does Victorian not know how to navigate by the stars? That the main reason uh, why you would stay close to the shore is for supplies as opposed to navigation, which thank you. Thank you for that insight, because in that moment, I was like, whoa, I don't understand. Why can they not just go? Yeah, that's really smart. That's a great answer to our questions from last episode about whether or not they knew about the stars. Better answer than I gave for your mm-hmm. questions. Better answer. I like this. I like John's creativity. I like Maddie's look at the world. Um, <laughs> this is fun. This is good. And you can get... Look at all the fun we're having. Yeah. You can get this and more at the Discord, as said. You could add your little thoughts, and Eliana might go find them. You never know. Watch out. Well... This, of course, brings us into our lightning round, which is going to be a little crafty today. It's going to be like an Ironborn-esque edition. And so those of you at home, of course, know that our lightning round catches us up on what we missed between the last chapter and this chapter. So that would be with the Reaver and now. Of course, I had to cut this down because it turns out this is the 63rd chapter in A Dance with Dragons. That means 62 other chapters have happened in A Dance with Dragons, for those of you keeping count at home. We had to cut that down a little bit. That's a lot of, a lot of prompts. So I settled on the Greyjoy plus Daenerys edition of the lightning round for today. I really wanted to include Quentin, Tyrion, and Barrison, but it turns out those are a good portion of those 63 chapters as well. 
Yeah, so too fucking long, too fat. So <laughs> let's kick it into gear. A Feast for Crows, of course, the last Greyjoy chapter was the Reaver. Feast for Crows is over. Let's move on. We're in a dance with dragons. And <laughs> I'm done with you. <laughs> I've told you to watch out. These lightning rounds are evolving. You're like <clears throat> the meme in Toy Story dropping the toy. <laughs> I'm done with you. That's, but that's Feast. <laughs> Drop a Feast for Crows in the trash. It's over. Till next time we go to a Feast for Crows. Uh, let's kick it off with a dance with Dragons with Daenerys 1, where Daenerys navigates the very difficult task of ruling over Marine. Daenerys 2, conflict with the Harpy's sons escalates. Daenerys wishes to visit her chained dragons. Reek 1, Reek is promised a bath and given a task. Daenerys 3, the Carthine declare war. Reek 2, Theon travels to Moat Kaelin to deliver a peace treaty to the remaining Ironborn for Ramsay. Ramsay's bride arrives. Is this love is blind? <laughs> oh my god. Love is Married bad. at first sight? Love the is bad. The other arranged marriage uh, uh, reality show? Speaking of, Daenerys 4, the Green Grace tells Danny to marry, but Barristan and Dario have different ideas. And let's circle it up with a third one with the Wayward Bride, where Asha, recently quote-unquote married, is at Deepwood Mott, where a battle erupts. Daenerys 5. Daenerys weighs her armies and chooses to marry. Reek 3. Roose borrows Reek and introduces him to Barbary Dustin at Barrow Hall. Daenerys 6. The Bloody Flux comes to Slaver's Bay and Daenerys closes her gates to it and allows Dario into her bed. The Prince of Winterfell. Jane and Theon suffer humiliation and more at Arya and Ramsay's wedding. The Turncloak. Theon walks the crypts with Barbary, who reveals some of her own plans for House Stark. The King's Prize. Asha is taken prisoner by Stannis, under guard by Alysanne Mormont. The snows fall heavier, and the camp is locked in by snow with no provisions. A ghost in Winterfell. New faces that arrived at the royal wedding reveal themselves as unlikely allies to Theon. Daenerys 8. Now wed and bed, Daenerys finds herself forced to compromise against keeping the peace. Theon 1. Theon and Jane take a leap to faith. Daenerys 9. The fighting pits are interrupted by a surprise contender. Drogon, the new bombshell to the villa. Well, we have Victorian Greyjoy sails the world to bring Daenerys Targaryen home. Steal her for himself. <laughs> Gonna happen. Ooh. It's gonna happen. Just a, a more romantic version of, of the Helen of Troy story, right? Mm. Mm. It is. It is. More romantic, for sure, what you said. Marjorie even <laughs> says a thousand ships when she first hears about the attack on the Shield Island. And she's a sh face that launched a thousand ships. There you go. I love that. I can't wait to hear more about this. Podcast over. Oops, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I know we're going to talk more about that. I do want to say, I want to ask, there are a couple of reasons that I'm sure you did. I know that you said you love Victorian, but why did you pick this chapter of the, all the Victorian chapters? Is it because like the title is a bit of a pun on iron suits and iron suitors <laughs> and knights? Or is it just like, is there something else that speaks to you in there it? There is that. There is the creepy narrative change. There's the just creepy sorcery and blood magic stuff. There's the huge amount of world building mm. and uh, stuff off the map and history about the doom and Velos. It's just a really cool chapter. Like it would be cool through anyone's perspective, I think, if they were traveling in these places. What I like about how George writes Victorian is that 
if you were to categorize all the characters based on certain archetypes, Victorian would be uh, kind of on his own in a lot of ways, despite there being lots of Ironborn chapters, because George has said before, it's really difficult to write children because, you know, he's not a child. It's hard to get inside the mind of a child. It's probably harder for him to write women because he's not one. I would assume it is. And it, it's just harder to write things that aren't your perspective. Victorian's a big, dumb, brutal, courageous, thick guy that just, it, that's hard for George to himself to get into the mind of someone like that. And I f- it feels like he's done a good job of it. So I find that compelling in odd ways for writing quality and just for getting in the mind of a type of character that we don't usually have that perspective on. And, and because he's so basic, he actually gives us information on this world that we take for granted because everybody mm-hmm. else is living and all the other characters have been living in this world. They're too smart to be thinking about the things that Victorian's thinking about, but we don't live in, th- in that world. So Victorian's basic questions are actually somewhat interesting sometimes. His answers are terrible. He has no idea how to get there, but his questions are actually quite interesting. Just don't listen to him when he comes to conclusions. (laughs) You're not fucking wrong there. I really agree. I really do agree. And I think I'm actually, especially this chapter, I started to come around to Victorian a little in some ways. Like, you don't have to hand it to him. I'm not saying that. But like, just- Hand? Exactly. Yes. Flaming hand it to him. But there are kind of just, there's some interesting things here. Like, yes, of course, he's a racist, xenophobic, rapist, adjacent to slavery, you know, kind of an asshole. But, but besides all of those terrible things, you start to kind of feel bad for the fucker in this chapter. Like, you suddenly see the outline and you see what he's been dealing with his whole life. And you're like, damn, I almost hope the guy, you know, wins somehow. But he's not gonna. But like, I almost hope he does. Almost. Here's a question I'd like to pose to y'all, and I think it presents Victorian in a, in a perhaps interesting light, as well as the societies within Westeros, especially Ironborn, which is mm. objectively one of the worst, if not the worst. <laughs> if Victorian had been born younger brother to Rob Stark, mm. would he have been a dependable right-hand like warrior at Rob's side in the rebellion, in uh, Rob's war against the Lannisters? Or would he still be an awful raping monster? You know, which, I don't know. I think raised by Ned Stark, he might have been a decent guy. I think Euron, no matter where you place him, that guy comes out a psychopath. But I feel like Victorian might be one of those guys with with a good upbringing, with good parenting, you know, without Kellon and having Balon and Euron for his brothers. And maybe, maybe would have been, not good, not good, but, you know, a guy you wouldn't mind having on your side. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's an interesting question. And it's something that we do talk about a lot, right? That difference between nature versus nurture in the story. And, you know, I think that there is, of course, a possibility that he could still be both. Both the things that you said. I think he would absolutely still be a dependable commander and brother for Rob. Because we see that despite the fact that he hates Euron and his family, he still fulfills a lot of those duties for all of his brothers and that family. While still being, you know, a terrible, like rapist, etc. And I, I, at the same time, I think he's one of those people who needs, he kind of needs religion in order to give himself a sense of ethics. He yes. depends on these codes in order to tell him what is moral. So it's entirely possible that with a different set of morals, he could fulfill those. But at the same time, like, I don't know that the North is necessarily that much, all like, it isn't always that much better, right? Good like, point, you yeah. have this codified mm-hmm. rape system, 
with the first night prima nocta with with the uh, the Boltons. So I think it really, to an extent, it's a coin toss. There's something there too. Like, for example, I have a family that lives in a northern place, right? That you start to once you get different populace, you get like a smaller populace spread out against a lot bigger of a place. There's a lot of freedom that comes from living there, right? When you think of what the Boltons are able to get away with, they're not able really to be reined in by anyone quite so easily. Uh, They have their land. They have a wide berth of land, and that works for them. They get away with what they want in some aspects. And I think that there's elements of, like, you could still find good people in that environment, but the land and the people and the lessons are a lot harsher, and there is a lot of toxicity for some of the kids in the North that are trying to grow up to be these great, strong, brave men. But that said, take a look at the lessons that you're learning, right? Considering being told your whole life, pay the iron price, and then you get to the North and it's a man can only be brave when he's afraid. And, you know, if you're going to kill someone, you need to look them in the eye before you take their fucking head off. You still can kill them. That's fine. We're still okay with that. But, like, look them in the eye, you know, hear their last moments, see their last moments, unless you can't. And, I think that's interesting that, like, Ned teaching his sons that we can see Bran, right? Bran is growing, when he was growing up in Winterfell before being taken into a different environment, he was learning to rule. And he was learning what social customs are as a ruler, how he should treat his people, how he needs to interact with the people of Winterfell and the people from outside of Winterfell, and how to negotiate pieces or how to negotiate different things and contracts. So, I think Victorian never was given any of that attention. Nothing like that, right? He was just told, steal stuff off the bodies you kill, kill the bodies, do a good job of doing that. Congratulations. Don't let other men make you feel not like a man. You're good to go. Earn your way into the drowned God's watery halls. Yeah, yeah. I like what Eliana said about a code. Like if if someone had programmed him with a, a decent code to live by, he might that ultimately could be yeah because i think you're right like he lives in a box he's an inside the box thinker and that box is his religion he acknowledges other religions exist and those gods are real but still he's still on team drowned god because <laughs> that's the one he was brought yeah. up in. yeah well let's get into it so the chapter opens with grief appeared alone at daybreak her black sails stark against the pale pink skies of morning 54 victorian thought sourly when they woke him and she sails alone. Silently, he cursed the storm god for his malice, his rage a black stone in his belly. Where are my ships? Where are my dragons? Oh my god. No, they're actually not the same. You sound just <laughs> like him. <laughs> exactly, right? It's Uncanny Valley. 93 ships had sailed from the shields, down seven from their 100. Again, keep a pen and paper at home for this one. Get ready. <laughs> Crewed by men from all of the various islands, ships of various strengths and sizes, worthy of facing a king. The journey had begun through the stepstones, capturing a Westerosi-bound merchant ship, the noble lady, full of salt cod, whale oil, and pickled herring. Full of food, they take other prizes in the Straits of Redwine and the Dornish Coast. Cogs, galeasses, a galley, and soon they're 99 ships, leaving the Stepstones to join as three fleets at the Isle of Cedars. George continues to make us do math. Okay. Hurtful. It's really hurtful. 45 ships arrive. 22 of them are Victorian's own. 14 are Ralph the Limpers, and only 9 are Red Ralph Stonehouses. 
The ships that do show are cogs and fishing boats, slavers, merchantmen, not warships. They would not do very much in battle. Before that, a couple handfuls of ships came. The Noble Lady, Raven Feeder, Iron Kiss, Maiden's Bane, Headless Jane, Fear, and Empty Seas and Skies after Ralph the Limper came, bringing what sounds more like weed strains than ships. Lord <laughs> Quellen, White Widow, Lamentation, Woe, Leviathan, Iron Lady, Reaper's Wind, I mean, Warhammer, and six more ships behind. Two of them are storm-racked and under tow, and I have to say, my roommate says that he lost all of the Indica ships. Yeah, like, like straight up, all the Indica ships. Every single one of those are in the weed catalog. I mean, yeah, these are just the yeah. sativas, you know. Yeah. Should we start growing stuff and then just so we can name them after Victorian ships? Yeah. Leviathan, Reaper's Wind. That is the most badass yeah. strain I've ever heard. That I would is absolutely smoke the a weed fuck strain. Out of that. Reaper's Wind. That is. I I have the Leafly app open right now, and let me tell you. <laughs> oh my god, Leafly! I want to get more hammered. Take, mm. take a hit of this Lord Quality. <laughs> oh, hey, Leafly, sponsor us. <laughs> mm. So it turns out the storms had been wild. Red winds from Valyria, smelling of ash and brimstone, black winds putting them to shore. A cursed voyage, they said, and Ralph Delimper claims that Euron must fear him for sending him so far away. The crow's eye must not mean for them to return. Victoria thought the same thing on his first storm outside of Old Volantis. And the losses that they, as they make their way east for Daenerys, right? It, I kind of actually found some of this a little reminiscent of Quentin's own journey mm. uh, towards the same, literally the same person, Daenerys, and, and his own losses his hit a little more emotionally in terms of him knowing the people. This this kind of hits hard for Victorian too, right? He prides himself on his fleet. But because of the sheer number of people and ships, he's a little more equipped to deal for like that percentage of losses as opposed to Quentin. Yeah, I mean, Quentin was just with what, five friends at first or seven friends at first? And yeah, they're just traveling, <laughs> trying to, ha- yeah. trying to yeah. hitch a ride. <laughs> These guys are, uh, yeah. Quentin's like- ships. He's like Frodo accidentally stumbling into Mordor out of nowhere, you know, like this is Victorian knows what he's doing to an extent, especially like this is where his genius lies ships. He knows ships. And I I really love right here that he is counting like something really interesting here is that he's counting these ships over and over, making the math work going. That won't work. I won't win with that. I have to have more than that. And he's counting like how many came. I mean, he's doing math for like hours and I make fun of George for doing all this math and making us do it with him, but I'm like, oh, that's what Victorian's doing. That's why his head hurts. Yeah, all the time. (laughs) I mean, I just would have given up. I simply would have been like, we cannot keep counting this. That's it. (laughs) I would have just languished on a beach somewhere, hung out with the monkeys. I don't know. I wouldn't have kept going. I would have stopped there. Yeah. Yeah. The gods hate kinslayers, he brooded. Elsewise, Euron Crozai would have died a dozen deaths by my hand. As the sea crashed around him and the deck rose and fell beneath his feet, he had seen Dagon's feast and red tide slam together so violently that both exploded into splinters. My brother's work, he'd thought. And those were the first ships he loses, and they were not the last. He slaps Ralph the Limper to make him, you know, like, that that's payment for all those ships he lost. And again, because Ralph also kind of muttered, they were cursed. And he threatens to make Ralph a mute, which is a, um, definitely the answer to most problems for the Greyjoys, I feel like. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think th- that would solve all their problems. <laughs> <laughs> they say if they yeah. just did it more, you know, I think they're just not doing it enough. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's clearly, you know, that's it. Just keep trying the same method, expect different outcomes. <laughs> Insanity. Where are his ships, though? Like, for real, that's a lot. <laughs> like, like, Isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. It does make me think that it's Euron based. It could be. It would be interesting to open the Winds of Winter, and maybe not to the Forsaken necessarily, but getting a, a chapter where Euron's just with all of the ships of the goddamn <laughs> You know how sometimes people talk about they want like a spin-off, you know, one of just like normal people or something? That could be fun. Like, you're the lost ship of Victorian's fleet. Oh, yeah. And they just travel around. That could be a cute, cute spin-off. Something I find interesting about the particular largest block of ships that went missing is the their red, red ralph stonehouse's block is that he's particularly loyal to victorian he he's one of the ones that multiple mm. times spoke against euron in public so i mean that it, it could be multi-level thinking here where he was pretending or something but this is also the group that was supposed to pass through the basilisk isles and just pay the iron price for their supplies so you could kind of see that going wrong, <laughs> you know, like why just attack other hardcore pirates for supplies? I mean, that might not go well mm. hmm. or, hmm. you know, or something else yeah. like disease or be pretty ironic if Kraken's got them. <laughs> well, it, and it goes back to like Newt, right? What Euron did with Newt of like saying, come on, what? come to my side. It makes you wonder if there's a little bit of sabotage mm-hmm. going on there. Bribery. To- mm-hmm. Yeah, to turn his crew against him, which, as we'll discuss towards, you know, the end of the episode and during the episode, he's already doing things that will probably turn his crew away, like, without needing Euron. Mm, how very John of him. Right. Well, can shit, too. <clears throat> well, the storms end. He declares he will have his fleet. A monkey above on the mast howls in frustration with Victorian. He hates the monkeys, but the monkeys love when he tries to get rid of them, so it's a total lose-lose scenario. <laughs> he just loses to the monkeys, and that, you know, that's embarrassing. I mean, <laughs> The monkeys are great because they are a good example of George being like, no, I'm not going to change this trope. When animals warn you of things, it's just, you should mm. listen. They're the most certain bellwether <laughs> of human behavior like in a movie if the dog or the cat doesn't like someone you automatically know they're a bad guy or gal or it's true and this is actually all the monkeys like but the monkeys are freaked out by makoro (laughs) they just don't like they just don't like victorian and they but makoro is the one who really (laughs) freaks them out so that's kind of saying something there they just have disdain Mm. for it's like i'm not worried about him i mean he doesn't even have a crossbow (laughs) but this dude this guy who sat in the ocean for 10 days or whatever hmm yeah i would be scared of him too (laughs) he's just living i think it's it's really funny to note how easily victorian is manipulated it's one of the things that most reveals him to be a dummy and that's saying something because there's a lot of things that reveal him to be a dummy i mean honestly that his sailing the dothraki sea comment in the next chapter isn't really that dumb <laughs> it's just ignorant yeah. right he just says he just doesn't know, yeah. you know. <laughs> but this is but getting taunted into an across the world super dangerous mission <laughs> uh, based on just like 
oh, a brave man could do it. Oh, I could do it. That's that's all it took. <laughs> it's like, I dare yeah. you. It's pretty much the, you know, reverse psychology equivalent of I double dark dare you. And that's all it took. Like, man. This, so, so from there, it just becomes so easy to to realize how much Euron is manipulating him and just how anything Victorian does, you can you can guess Euron predicted he would do that. <laughs> Or we'll do that. Are men okay? <laughs> We're not. We're really not. Not this one. We're really, not. Really not. <laughs> Thank you for checking in. I just wanted the temperature check. I'm like, damn. <laughs> damn. I mean, he even hates the color of the ocean. Not. Like, what? <laughs> right. Water isn't always the He's same, like, it's bro. too blue. <laughs> <laughs> it's too blue. It's not green enough. The clouds I'm are I'm like, wrong. yo, people like pay a lot of money to experience that. <laughs> experience this exact like tropical wonder that you have right here Victorian but like he lives in the farthest western point of like all the known world and is like no it's gonna be the same no matter where else I go (laughs) and he's been doing this for like ever like his whole life he's been sailing places so I'm just like you come from a sailing culture I will say, though, maybe it's like it's similar to, you know, sleeping somewhere and you're so uncomfortable and then you're like, I just want to be in my bed. Maybe that's him, but about water. But his bed comes with him everywhere he goes <laughs> because he's on a ship. Well, yeah. and he likes his bed to be one fucking color around it. Okay, God, Eliana. <laughs> there, there's something just like really, really despicable and unsettling about someone that has the courage and ability to sail the world but has no curiosity about it whatsoever <laughs> and just total disdain for it all. Like mm-hmm. this man only intends bad things because <laughs> there's nothing yeah. to be like, oh, actually I like, uh, you know, nothing's going to turn him around and be like, actually, maybe I, uh, the world is, is interesting and maybe I should take pleasure in its variety. No, that's yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> I think that's a perfect encapsulation of him, though. He has no curiosity. Yeah. He doesn't want to learn other things. He's he's content for the world to be as it is. And, and new knowledge very much scares him. Yeah. He's concerned with, am I about to break a rule, a superstitious rule? And that, uh. that gets him thinking, which is what I was referring to earlier about when he gets interesting. Like, he's per- trying to per- piece together how the world works, despite all these contradictory superstitions that most people just kind of live with. Which is also interesting because his brother did the same thing, but just broke through. It was like, okay, there are no gods. I'm going to test this and prove to myself that the gods aren't real. And Victorian's more like, my brother would know what, my brother Aaron would know what to do here. Is it, should I sacrifice seven people for the seven gods, burn them because of R'hllor, <laughs> and then they also go in the water because of the drowned god? Yeah, that'll work. Just, it's like superstitious stew. You know, he just throws it all into a pot. Yeah. He's like, that'll work. I love that because with what you're saying that he like doesn't, he doesn't have an imagination and he doesn't want one. He wants nothing to do with having one because his brother, Euron, has taken the ultimate imagination. <laughs> like when he tried to dose him imagination. with- Yeah, he's like, that guy has taken 10 tabs a day for far too long is what I'm saying. And like, Victorian's yeah. like, please stop trying to dose me in the last chapter. Like my fucking God brother, please don't dose me here um (laughs) that is the relationship like he straight up wants nothing to do with it he's like please no i really i like that viewpoint very interesting it's a lot like that awesome line that rainy's had on the tv show where she said you're not trying to allison where she said you're not trying to whatever you're just trying to carve a window in your own prison victorian is just trying to size up his his box that he lives in he's not trying to go venture out of it or even look out of it he doesn't want the yeah. window. He doesn't want to see what's out there. 
<laughs> which is a weird yeah. thing to say about a guy who has traveled across the world. It's it's like it's so peculiar. Which again, that's kind of why he's kind of interesting. Ironic, despite all yeah. that. Yeah, I ironic born. But that, that's the thing is, every time in the past on his own that he tried for that freedom and to make his little box bigger, he was struck down by Euron for it. That's a good point. It, it's a deeper yeah. fear, you know? Like, he fears it also because of that, because of Euron directly, I feel like. Yeah. Damn. Yep. And, yeah. and that's some of where he's been the most manipulated, some of his own trauma is the thickest, right? Because he his killed brain, his yeah. own wife, which... Is awful, but he hated doing it, which is just shows how beholden to his own rule set that he lives by. Mm. He is. He's like, well, I have to do this. Like, Ugh. if that, he, if he couldn't stop himself from that, then there's nothing he can stop himself from doing. If the rules, quote unquote, say that he's got to do it, and it's so easy to convince him of what the rules are. Like as we said, he's so manipulatable. It's true. Like, well, what's my brother think? Well, um. Yeah, you gotta you gotta go across the world, man. <laughs> I, I think he contrasts well, as you said, with like Euron then, who has broken every rule, but also as you're saying, right, he kills his wife because, you know, as as Chloe phrased it last chapter, like he can't imagine a world where like it didn't have to be like that. And and you think about him having this like crisis and never questioning his religion, you put that up against characters like what? Like Melisandre, right? Or like mm. Aaron in the Forsaken and things like that, and he just he doesn't do any of that. Whereas Euron is like, I don't know, I'm i I'm gonna compare him to another another like very nautical series, um in SpongeBob. He's like imagination <laughs> and he makes the literal like rainbow, but Euron's doing that too. He's trying to break reality just like SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get a rise out of Chloe. <laughs> the on the polar opposite, I think, is a great example is Daenerys, because she has been through a lot of these similar situations where she doesn't have control over where she's going. In her case, it's literal. Whereas Victorian could yeah. he's the in charge of the ships. He could give the order to go elsewhere. Eventually Danny's in charge too, but obviously at the beginning she's yeah. not. But she goes through the, the Thraki Sea and the Western, like the markets there, and then Karth, and she's blown away. She's invested and interested and curious and thinks mm. about all these things, experiences wonder, and despite all the hell stuff going around her, all the awful things happening to her. And even down to like the the magic stuff, like she experiences the closest thing to what Victorian experiences with the fourth wall being broken during black uh, magic or blood magic where yes, something really yeah, weird happens yes. and they both perceive it very differently. And so that's really kind of neat that mm -hmm. he, he happens to be going to her and they've experienced similar things, but their viewpoint on them is just dramatically different. So that's another reason I think Victorian's interesting because if he provides that, makes he, he somehow makes Daenerys more interesting. <laughs> which she's yeah. already among the most yeah. fascinating there is so that's uh that's that's an achievement i think hell yeah victorian had really hoped to have a majority of these ships with him already like 70 80 at least but now things are looking very bad despite three sacrifices before sailing and another three in the stepstones he has not had luck he was only able to voice this to the dusky woman and when grief finally appears, he sends word to recall all hunting parties and break up the shore camps. Yeah, so we're told once again that Victorian has continued 
using the dusky woman as a therapist by that not a very good one because she can't really guide him in any of the different like treatments right she just listens and and it reminds me a little bit of jamie's relationship with ill and pain both of them you know having their their tongues ripped out and and these very warrior-like men kind of using these different kinds of people and and their relationships how they differ right down to the hand injury too there's even a little bit of a similarity there that's right yes that's right And being kind of, uh, kind of strung together because of that, right? Like not being able to function without that other person because of that. Interesting. Yeah, and very, very trapped by their upbringing. Like Jamie, Kingsguard at sixteen, he's like, "What? What is my life? What have I done?" He's like, he he has his realization about his life when he's already in a relationship with his sister and has children with her and (laughs) is already hated for what he thinks he's done, even though he was anyway. You guys know all that, but yeah, so. Yeah. The parallels are enormous. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, especially with Jamie. George is good at this. I also he tried to step to step out the box once, right? And he kind of broke the whole one thing he was supposed to do, which that's the story. That's a legend. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, and he got hated for it. You're right. Yeah, they both yeah, break breaking out of the box might be the right thing to do, but you can suffer personally for it quite a lot. There's a lot going on with tongues in this book, right? You have a, it it reminds me a little bit of Wax, who, Mm. you know, he, although mute, can reveal huge secrets by the end. So I wonder if there will Mm. be some sort of reveal for the dusky woman where she's like, in the sand, you know, you idiot, your brother (laughs) is controlling me. Your dick sucks. Please stop <laughs> she fucking draws me. A dick butt. She's yeah, like, please stop raping me. She's super angry. I mean, it's see this. She's like, give Jesus. me some dirt to draw in for the ah, this ocean. I can't draw on anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He keeps her on the boat. My God. Yeah, there's something going on there with tongues. Definitely. And, and she yeah. freaks out at Makoro too. So not just the monkeys. <laughs> she also. Yeah. Yeah. Says a lot to come. A lot to come. Yeah. Hmm. Like. If she's a part of Euron's plan, which is entirely possible, certainly strong. Yeah, because why would you gift your brother a woman with a tongue where she can talk to him? Yeah, maybe that's, and then, of course, Victorian, as easily manipulatable as he is, Euron knows that he's going to not get around to killing her, as he puts it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no, he's he's too, he's got his brother sized up properly. Yeah, he's he's like, no, he's he's going to keep her, and he's going to. But but this Makoro just breaks the the plan. No one saw this coming. Like she didn't see it coming. Mm. Euron couldn't have seen it coming. No one. I mean, I guess Makoro himself did in his flames. Makoro saw it coming. Yeah, Yeah. someone did. (laughs) Wild cards. (laughs) Wild cards. (laughs) They load up fruits and pigs and rations and leave Shark, the ship, to tell stragglers where they went. Shark needs to get repaired anyway, which brings them down to 53 ships, but there's nothing he can do. Wolf warns him that another day could mean another ship, and Victorian knows that, but he says they can't wait, and if they win with a small fleet, wouldn't their victory be that much sweeter? I think there's something interesting here about those pigs, right? And and I want to say I've seen it in like a bigger theory about something, but... You know, obviously, Danny and Drogon's psychic connection in the fighting pits is a big deal of part of why he comes to her. But also, he was drawn by all the blood, including the blood of boars mm. and pigs. So, Victorian just put a sh- metric shit ton of pigs on this ship. And he's flying to Slaver's Bay to go to Daenerys, where 
famously, her giant fucking winged lizard is flying around in the sky hungry as shit <laughs> with a heat radar for pigs. I'm like, Victorian, you're more than a mark. You're now bait. Bro, you're bait. <laughs> squid bait. You're pig bait. bait. Yeah, he squid hooked, bait. He yeah. just ran a hook through himself and dangled it. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I cool. the pig stood out this time. I was like, damn, I know you're going to eat a lot of them, but you better eat all a lot of them before you get there. I'm worried for you. There's got to be some symbolism there. I like I like where you're going with that, too, because bringing up Drogon and, and Danny, that was that was really loaded with symbolism, too, with the woman who's killed there <sighs> is named Bara Barsena Blackhair. Mm-hmm. Like she's super Robert Baratheon killed by a like just female slave Robert Baratheon killed by a boar in front yeah. of Danny. Like Danny's watching Robert die in front of her in in replay mode. So and real then, time. And then she her dragon symbolically comes in and is like, "Okay, you took the throne. Now I'm taking it back." Yeah. So, yeah, this could fit into that whole symbolic umbrella nicely. Cuz Victorian's bringing a load of people to to Danny, right? Like Makoro isn't on Team Victorian; he's on Team Danny. Like he believes yes. she's the actual Messiah or whatever. <laughs> and so that's pretty unambiguous, <laughs> I suppose. Whoever else, like maybe just the ships and crews, or and maybe even Victorian. You think there's a chance Victorian is like won over by her somehow, or is he just gonna die and she's gonna abscond with all her all his ships? Real talk. I'm thinking the latter. It would be pretty cool slash fucked up if she shows up in Westeros with the, most of the Iron Fleet. It's kind of funny, actually. I mean, just imagine him at her side with his big ar- flaming arm, like if he's fighting for her. Like, <laughs> she could use that. Like, maybe she shouldn't, but she's got Jorah. So, right. Or, well, she doesn't right now. But maybe she will again. <laughs> I'm not hoping for it, but eh, it's probably going to happen. I don't know. I see him dying by then for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I worry. I worry for that guy. Jorah might be the one to kill Victorian because there's a there's a I'm weird like for him that much. <laughs> George dropped a weird clue about that. Something about um hmm. nipples on a breastplate being killed by a slave soldier with nipples on your breastplate, and that's exactly how Jorah has just armed himself from the Second Son's armory. He's he's wearing uh, armor with nipples on his breastplate. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Yep. I forgot that. I know that the phrase comes up a lot because I guess you know George suddenly had that weird yes. fixation about <laughs> Batman. So yeah, uh, obscure but... obscure possibility there that maybe that would no, maybe that would be actually, a way no. for Danny to uh, accept Jorah again if he slays Victorian. Eh. Interesting. Throwing that out there. <laughs> I for one would just not accept. <laughs> it's like good job on the killing Victoria him, again. but that's just you're that's just built different. That's just me. <laughs> I am. I don't have dragons to start. Um, Bears, boars, squid. What other animals we got going on here? <laughs> all sorts of bait. <laughs> For dragons, they all are bait. Actually, though. Various forms. It's what Danny said to the Dothraki, right? When they were messing with her, when the the the, the, the Coes were messing with her, and she's like, they're all prey to the dragon. And they're like, whoa. And yeah. Jorba's like, see how my son inside her is making her talk like that. And we're like, oh, come on. <laughs> Like, no, nah, that's her, yo. She's right. saying that. Yeah. yeah. So that's the kind of like, I can kind of believe maybe that Victorian could be won over, but also like, no, if he's thinking like that, he just can't see a woman as a leader. And that's 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 going to have to be it for him then. He's about to short circuit when he sees all yeah. that. Um, like, what if he sees a dragon? Like, what is, like, that alone could be like, yeah. wait, those were real? Uh, <laughs> I didn't think about that. 
Too distracted by monkeys. So Victoria needs to get to Daenerys before the Volantines do. There's uh, a lot of politics going on here. He saw some galleys in Volantis that are full of sailors and merchants who are cheering the new triarchs who all want the queen dead. So we're getting a little bit of that, uh, what's going on in the free cities alongside whatever uh, Quentin's chapters and Tyrion's chapters have been showing us. And I thought this was really interesting that they overhear that a bunch of the people these sailors and merchants, they're they're not cheering for Daenerys. They want Daenerys to fall because they're already speculating on all the jewels and the slaves and the riches that are going to flood into Volantis. And I mean, I think something that is starting to come to the forefront of the story is really the economic impact of Daenerys' reign. Like that, we've already seen that, how that's impacted a lot of Slaver's Bay, but like it's going to have very like international ramifications that I think are super interesting for the story. Yeah, because right now they're meeting and coming across all these different people that are already starting to say like, oh, fuck that chick. She's ruining our life. Ah, oh, we're going to go get her. And he's kind of, to Aziz's earlier points, like, we're seeing so many important things that he isn't even really listening to. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Glossing mm -hmm. over that, moving on, back to the boat. <laughs> it doesn't phase him. It's funny. He's like, you know, there's 300 <laughs> ships coming and we're only, you know, like you said, I don't know exactly how many because that would involve doing the aforementioned math, but it's a lot <laughs> less than 300. On the other hand, there's all this fear that amongst the powers that be that since those ships were crewed by slaves, they might not actually be hostile to the Ironborn after all. They might be pro Danny, and if they see Ironborn ships attacking mm. slavers, then they're going to be like, hey, those must be our friends. And yeah, it is convenient that the Ironborn's prohibition on slavery, even though thraldom is so very similar, is, uh, but Victorian wouldn't be unable to tell the difference. To him, they're hugely different because one is an Ironborn precept and one is not and evil and bad. And yeah. Yeah, so. they're only kind of slaves for us. Only yeah. kind of. Yeah, your children aren't slaves, but you are. Oh, what a huge... I mean, that is a big difference, but it's still, yeah. a, it's still slavery. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of yeah. cool that he can use that. It makes the whole situation a little mysterious. It's hard to predict what, how it will go because we see how awful Victorian is. We're in his head. It's unambiguous. Again, another thing that's very unambiguous, but Danny, she doesn't know any of this. She's like... The way she looked at Dario or Drogo, she's not going to be into Victorian like romantically, I don't think, but she won't necessarily see the red flags or know about them or assume them, which I think you could probably assume them. But uh, she's going to have people telling her otherwise, like if Barristan's around or Tyrion's around, we're like, that dude, maybe use him, but don't like trust him or anything. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not a. a yeah. stupid use either like yeah. he could be a good use but not that great of a use right because he's actually looking around at the valentine fleet right now which is like 300 to 500 ships teeming with slave soldiers and he's like fuck and he's watching <laughs> and he sees that they have allies they have the yunkish men astapor new geese karth tolos even marine ships the ones that fled before danny took the city he again looks and he's like i have 53 ships fuck <laughs> but but he what? thinks you know what if euron can do it and live to tell it with one ship if he can mock the gods i can too though he is down a best mate he's down newt the barber he only has wolf one ear a very big downgrade in his eyes and mine you know because newt the loot man newt's out there newt newt <laughs> wolf asks if they still mean to make for marine and victorian's like yes for the dragon queen and we get kind of this monologue from him 
the fairest woman in the world, if my brother could be believed. Her hair is silver gold, her eyes are amethysts. Was it too much to hope that for once Euron had told it true? Perhaps. Like as not, the girl would prove to be some pock-faced slattern with teeth slapping against her knees, her dragons no more than tattooed lizards from the swamps of Sothorios. If she is all that Euron claims, though. They had heard talk of the beauty of Daenerys Targaryen from the lips of pirates in the Stepstones and fat merchants in Old Volantis. It might be true. And Euron had not made Victarion a gift of her. The crow's eye meant to take her for himself. He sends me like a serving man to fetch her. How he will howl when I claim her for myself. Let the men mutter. <laughs> I, I'm really rooting for him. Just like even especially because I know he won't win. That's why I'm rooting for him, I think, because I'm like, oh, you stupid motherfucker. You're sitting here <laughs> and you see he sees like right here. He's like, and Euron wanted me to just bring her to him. What an idiot. Now I'm going to go take it. And I'm like, but yeah, you're not looking at all these gifts he's giving you in the moment. Like <laughs> you don't see the manipulations. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, he is very much underestimating. I, I get it. Like, he doesn't believe there's really necessarily dragons. And if there's that, then, yeah, why believe she's so beautiful? And why believe the other stuff? But not only does that, but there's the unsullied and <laughs> all these other things. She really does. This is not an easily kidnappable person. Oh, let alone the fact she's not even there. <laughs> she's yeah. not there to be kidnapped. Let's not forget she's way yeah. the hell There's a lot of things working against him. She's, yeah. We haven't even mentioned that's that. kind of <laughs> yeah. It, it, honestly, that's why I don't think he'll succeed. I think he might even die before he fucking meets her. Yeah, like at least Quentin way. got farther than that. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a great point, Quentin. More so. Well, Quentin also started a yeah. little early. Not a little. And we a love an earlier, underdog. Right? Um. So. Not an updog, an underdog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sad to say, Victorian's plan is. As bad as it is, it's way better than Quentin's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. It actually kind of is, though. But now, you know, what do you do with... He's got, like, almost a very different problem, right? Quentin was like, shit, we are very underprepared for this mission. I don't have anyone who knows how to speak, like, these he's languages dead. except for the one guy, and he's dead. And then yeah. Victorian's like, I just do not care. <laughs> about knowing any of these languages but like he's got too many you can't hide like mm -hmm. 54 ships whereas quentin is like you know we don't have enough to like have a presence and like spread out Victorian's like there's too many of us <laughs> Victorian's like, we're gonna sneak up on us. them and it stops there that's where his plan stops he's like Defeat? but from there <laughs> we'll simply kidnap the dragon <laughs> yeah. queen like that needs a little more sorting through the details rather than just once we spring our trap and sneak through they'll the rest will be simple like what <laughs> some straight penelope pit stop tire on the <laughs> the train tracks and pray for it you know i don't know i don't know what victorian thinks here <laughs> he d he is praying for it though yeah, like that is actually part of his plan he prays for Daenerys. Sure. Oop, the penelope i like that penelope reference there we got the old uh, help me help me multi reference yeah, yeah. cuz it's also the the trojan war <laughs> ah oh there we go. Yeah. I oh. like this. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. Soon, <laughs> Aziz is going to unleash <laughs> the Trojan War. It's coming in this episode. Ooh. Buckle up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Trojan horse deception. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Trojan Kraken? Hmm. That would actually be cool. 
So Victorian had lost too much to leave without the prize, he closes his good hand into a fist and asks for the maester to come to his cabin. While he waits, he looks off across the fleet at long sails on the Isle of Cedars, drowned 400 years ago unseen. He finds this maester that Euron gave him girlish, and the maester had told him that this place was once called the Isle of a Hundred Battles. But those men were now dust. It should be called the Isle of Monkeys. Victorian thinks. There are pigs too, giant black boars, piglets, all with no fear of man. Yet. Victorian had banned them from the ships, yet these monkeys are all over, the monkeys and the pigs alike, and he wishes he had a crossbow. I love the world building so much in this chapter. It's definitely one of the draws. These, Even though Victorian has no curiosity about these things, he still thinks about them. He still gives us kind of a tour. And that's pretty cool. I mean, George is just really good at writing this stuff. The uh, 400 years ago getting drowned and what must have happened, just thinking about how it would have been those last, the seconds where the doom was occurring and whatever happened before to give it the name of all those battles. Yeah, like that's really neat. <laughs> Even though Victorian hates it. What did give it that name? No, I mean it must have know? been a place that the Freehold warred over. Uh, is my best guess because they ruled that they ruled the region for like mm. six, seven thousand years. So it's not like there could have been some other culture that fought over it. So I, I assume that they fought so many. They fought what six wars with or five wars with the with old Gis. So I'm guessing it was since it's kind of between them. It is kind of in the mm. smack dab in the middle of the two nations. It's yeah. probably it's kind of hard to conceive of another guess to be honest. But obviously they're. There is other possibilities, but that's pretty overwhelming, I think. Giscar yeah. versus Valyria in the old days. He was doing a little gardening for sure here. He was having some fun as he starts discardening. to discardening. <laughs> uh, there's something cool there, too, that, like, in a way, Valyria and all these secrets about Valyria and secrets about the Doom, he really didn't start publishing a lot of them until this kind of second half of the series. So. He's starting to get a little comfy. He's like, let me write some fun new shit for the Isle of Cedars. He's like, why not? A hundred battles. I'll write it someday. So maybe next book. Maybe next Ooh. book. You never know. Yeah. yeah. Look under your chair. Look under your chair. It's the window winner. <laughs> it's there. Uh, Victorian, like me after making that joke, hates this place, these people, the skies, me? the sun. No, not you people. Like the, uh, the all the people that I live amongst. You know, I just want the woods winner. The sun. He hates the sun. Big mood. Same. Hates the Isle of Cedars. He hates the storms. They're nothing like the southern storms, which are as treacherous as a woman. The water is all wrong. It's shimmering turquoise at the shore. <laughs> it's a blue so deep that it's black in the center, and he misses the gray-green. Oh, my God. Does that Philadelphia water settle down? He misses the <laughs> oh gray-green waters of Pike, the white caps, the surges. He hates this shit. The hunting's good, though. It is good, but the forests are odd. They're still and green and full of queer, bright flowers. He really needs to, like, I don't know. We gotta do something to cheer this guy up, because I'm like, flowers fucking rock. <laughs> yeah, flowers are cool. Horrors lurk within the broken palaces. Ooh, cool vibes. And statues of drowned Velos. Mm. Half a leak north where they anchor. His dreams ashore were dark and disturbing, and he woke with a mouth full of blood. That couldn't oh. mean something, hmm. could it? Hmm. 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 Victorian's just been flossing too much, you know? <laughs> uh, or not know, enough. I just need to floss. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I need to floss more. Um, I'm projecting. And 
Victorian, Victorian, you know, like we were talking about this earlier, right? Like he's so ignorant. He's he's supposed to be this really brave military leader, but because of his ignorance and his lack of curiosity, literally everything scares him. He's like, oh my god, is this flower dangerous? And I'm like, bro, it's a flower. But then again, you know, like his prejudices just just make him somehow afraid of even like the most mundane things. But I guess in his defense, like magic is real in this world and therefore i don't know what if the trees and the flowers really are dangerous some of the trees yes are in fact perhaps dangerous as we remember from our last pov mm. True. doesn't mean they're I not beautiful yeah i'm like i can't tell like is victorian right to be afraid of the foliage or not i mean he's just not avant-garde is really what it comes down mm. to there is just such a pall over the whole chapter i mean what is the, the first word in the, in the chapter is grief the yeah. ship he spots and then we have the all the supernatural terror and the stories of ancient death and destruction and yeah uh, his xenophobia yeah it's just just so much negative energy all throughout the chapter and then it just gets bigger with the mystery and sorceress stuff and yeah it's it's yeah. thick and it, <laughs> yeah and I think that the real lesson is that, like a true man, Victorian thinks that it sh everything should look like a Zack Snyder film, and uh, this does not to him. He is pretty upset, you know. Yeah, but he can't back yeah. down. I, I, I like, <laughs> I like that you brought up that the first word of the chapter, and that they're waiting for that ship grief. It comes up a couple of times, occurs, and I think that's that's the thing that Victorian is trying to repress, his grief. <laughs> He's like, instead of dealing with my brother and my grief, what if I tried to steal this woman that he wants to marry and then, you know, kind of fuck himself over in the end? Who knows? That's true. That's a good point. He just wants to get back mm -hmm. in. Yeah. We have this quote of, the maester said he had bitten his own tongue in his sleep, but he took it for a sign from the drowned god, a warning that if he lingered here too long, he would choke on his own blood. Hmm. Okay. But I... Felt this chat part of the chapter was actually so riveting because, Eliana, over the last few weeks, you and I have been talking hmm. about a lot of concepts coming off of Brand Stark. You know, one of the reasons we kind of chose to do Victorian next was uh, coming off of Bran and some of those nice dark concepts with the skin changing and war gang and consumption. And every time we we've kind of ripped through this, he's been waking up with some blood in his mouth or like. The taste oh. of blood in his mouth. We talked a little bit about Thistle and the Dusky Woman, for example, right? Mm. And compared them last week that Thistle bit off her own tongue while being skin changed into, right? Out of the sheer horror of it and to try to take away some of that agency there in body. And kind of Hodor having that taste in his mouth and Bran often waking up with that taste in his mouth of blood after having warped her skin changed. And Arya and John and Bran having those dark dreams all the time and waking up with a little blood in their mouth. I think we might be on to something here with the dusky woman having her tongue cut out so that she doesn't A, spill the beans, and B, bite it off while she's being skin changed by Euron. Yeah. There and is he also being skin changed by Euron? Because that's what it feels like. His dreams. That was what I was going to say. Like, you know, that was a, a, my like little tinfoil based on what you were saying before. I was like, is this because, is he having those nightmares because mm -hmm. they're looking Arno through. Euron saw that shit? Mm. This is definitely like the, perhaps the, the section of all five books that is the most deeply supernatural in terms of 
at least if you look at like darkly supernatural stuff. You know, like yeah. for example, we have two chapters ago, Gregor Clegane is given a white cloak. Basically, he's ready. The mountain is made ready for the first time. Like he's announced that that's it's time. It's mm. two chapters from uh, ahead of now is John dreaming of his flaming red sword and black armor as warmth seeps out of him and the ice spiders are crawling up the wall. And the dead things in the water letter. Like, come on, right? <laughs> that is some creepy stuff. And then like three chapters after that is Asha watching the burning of of the prisoners in Stannis' army. And then the next chapter is Victorian's next chapter. Followed by Arya going down under the faceless men and getting her face put on her. Followed yes. by the walk of shame. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah, that book has nothing but bangers as you go through <laughs> it. Yeah, for real. Like, I, I'm not like a, I'm, I'm a feast lover, right? I'm a feast enjoyer. That's my number one. But I used to be kind of like a, I don't know that I like dance as much. And in the way that we're reading it is very different, obviously. But reading it through that half, like second half of the book, how do you put it down? How could you put it down and sleep with yourself at night? Like, you have to finish it. You have to keep going when you get to that second half. It's just... I didn't even mention John Connington, you know, showing his grayscale off. Yes! <laughs> that's right. Like, that's, that's like John four, Connington. that's five chapters after this one. <laughs> He's so. bringing the magic back. Yeah, it's yeah. it's coming. Yeah. It's coming hard. That's Not like Griffin. that. The Griffin Reborn. Yeah, yeah, it's so, it's so yeah. good. You're right. I, I agree. I double cosign all of what you just said. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, sister. We haven't busted that one out in a while. Um, I'm feeling it today. Yeah, I know, right? So it had been said when the doom arrived at Valyria, a wall of water 300 feet tall descended, drowning hundreds of thousands of people, and only fisherfolk at the sea and spearmen in a tower on a high hill had been left to tell the tale after. Velos had been turned from cedar and pink marble to rubble and the pyramids of the island slaver port, Gozai, were gone too. Yeah, I thought I thought this was so interesting because usually what you hear about the Doom of Valyria, which makes a lot of sense, is that assume that it's a sort of volcanic activity, and that really fits with a lot of what we hear about how Valyria was made and the freehold, but this specific part does not mention any of that volcanic activity. There's no fire, it's very much about the sea, and it sounds like it's describing a tsunami, which could, of course, come in tandem with some of that volcanic activity if any of it has to do with any of like the shifting of tectonic plates, etc. And part of the same event. But I, I just thought that was like a great little bit of, bit of history. Yeah, it adds some context to the doom, like adds some more detail to the type, yeah. of, the type of devastation. You're right. It wasn't just volcanoes blowing up. It was things that happened because the volcanoes blew up caused other climactic impacts or, or whatever the right term is. Yeah, floods like this. It's interesting because when you think of the Doom of Valyria, you just think of a huge-ass volcano blowing all over Valyria, right? You don't think of this part of it. So seeing the devastation up close that was also caused and understanding a little bit more about the East when we've had so much detail about Westeros, that's really great. I, I love that he says he chose it because of this next... So many drowned men, the drowned god, will be strong there. Victorian had thought when he chose the island for the three parts of his fleet to join up again. He was no priest, though. What if he had gotten it backwards? I just, that's just, I love that line of thinking so much. It's so entertaining. Like, yeah, like, of course, he's not questioning whether his initial read was correct. It's just like whether it's backwards or not. Like, surely the presence of drowned men is relevant somehow. 
it's just he's not sure if it's good or bad. <laughs> there's there's no like maybe this is irrelevant entirely or you know. <laughs> I'm no priest. How would I know? I love that. I fucking yeah, love that. I'm yeah. gonna start saying that to people. I'm no fucking priest. How would I know? I like. I, I feel like it's an authentic slice of how superstitious people in an actually magical world might think. You know, like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not like off base, right? As you said, it's a magical world. It could actually mean something. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Heck, the doom is like, are they supposed to think that was a natural phenomenon? Like, if I lived in that world, I would I mean, not think it was natural. <laughs> you know? Yeah, none of us think that the doom was a natural event. Like, quasi-natural. So, like, why would they? Exactly. Yeah. He's not entirely wrong. It's just... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, though, that, like, he's reading it in terms of, like, is it good or is it bad in regards to that magic? Or is he reading it wrong not being a priest? Because... We see a couple of priests and priestesses throughout the series who who are tied with religions, and they do sometimes interpret things backwards. Because, yeah, isn't that funny? Because, yeah, there it's like science. If you get something wrong with science, you eventually maybe hopefully figure out the right answer. But with magic, I'm not so sure you can just expect repeatable results <laughs> that you can extrapolate conclusions from. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can, and I don't think you should. Yeah. That's, like, how I feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Even if you can, you probably shouldn't. Especially not when it's, you know, this kind of magic. Blood magic and... Right. Res resurrections mm -mm. and, yeah. Mm, it doesn't seem good. No, not so much. It gets a little... It's getting a little hairy on the inside of those details, huh? Yeah. So, one other thing uh, I wanted to throw out here while we're talking about the religion stuff and the beliefs, I guess, and the comparisons here is the, uh, how he sees his, how he handles his belief that his brother's gifts are poisoned, the way he uh. responds to that, you know, it's, it, he, he understands, it's another thing that he just, he perceives it, but he just has no idea what to do about it, but he thinks he does. He's like, oh, I just won't kill her like he expects me to, or I won't release the bird like the the ravens you guys had some great notes on those ravens yes Euron knew he wouldn't release the ravens <laughs> don't we don't we assume that or at least can confidently guess that yeah i would think so as we get towards there there's definitely some stuff to check out with those ravens definitely yeah yeah chekhov's ravens <laughs> <laughs> they are i didn't even notice the ravens until y'all called them out i was like i don't know birds <laughs> uh, but those brand chapters I, especially are what made me really sit there and go, wait a second. Ravens yeah, mean something. I got a bird brain. Um, ha! So, yeah, yeah, he doesn't really know what to do. He's just like, mm, they're poisoned, but what if I just kept drinking the poison? I don't know. Meanwhile, meanwhile, <laughs> his actual hand is basically poisoned or infected. I guess infected. I don't, I don't think anyone's messing with it. It's the same thing. It's a, yet another parallel to what yeah. was happening with Drogo. Like, yeah. A, a, magical healing of a wound that would eventually kill him. It's just that this happened sooner than Drogo was a lot farther. Like, Drogo went weeks with that thing. Well, so does Victorian, but <laughs> still. <laughs> Mary yeah. Mazur went after him right away <laughs> with, her, with, her, with her stuff, I think. Well, his was, like, his was like in the chest, right? So it's a much yeah. more, I think, uh, vulnerable area. Closer, closer to, to the bloodstream. 
Yeah, organs. and what, what someone pointed yeah. out to us is that I, that I missed for years is that sewing dead skin back on is medically unsound. That's a terrible thing to do. So the, I did not the know flap, that. putting that flap back <laughs> on, is almost proof that she was trying to kill him. I've seen, so I saw several people point that out when we did our reread, and the wow. uh, from someone who was a nurse, and they were like, and George doesn't get these things wrong, like not basic basic medicine and infection stuff wrong. Like she said, like he hasn't gotten these things wrong, so I assume this one he didn't get wrong either. So it was probably deliberate. So, but here it's just he's at sea, like it's moist. You know, like, where's he going to have, again, there's no dirt to draw in, so there's no dryness, you know. What's he going to do, hold his hand in a barrel of salt or something? I don't know. Right. Fetid. Maybe, maybe. That might be good, yeah. <laughs> again, not a, uh, our lack of medicine. coming. Yeah, we are not. I'm not. No. Medicine's not my strong point. So, Victorian thinks that perhaps the drowned god destroyed the island in anger and that the damp hair would know for sure. But unfortunately, the damp hair is back in the islands, preaching against the crow's eyes godless rule. But the men had cheered him above Victorian and other godly men. Hmm. In his cabin, the dusky woman takes care of him without asking and lays a damp cloth on his brow and works on his hand. He thinks about, as you said earlier, Aziz, right? His brother's gifts being poisoned and wanting none of the leavings. And... He had decided to, to slit the dusky woman's throat and loot, toss her as a blood sacrifice, but he just never got around to it. And now he found her a <laughs> what confidant. A strange comment. One that never confided back. Who among <laughs> yeah. us has not gotten around to our scheduled blood sacrifices? <laughs> it's such a hassle, yeah. right? Who's I mean, among us? Who hey, I have a really for... busy schedule, okay? Really busy. <laughs> Seriously, that stuff <laughs> takes a lot of work. Yeah, he's getting a little attached to something false, it seems. Hmm. Yeah. Put some time on my Calendly, you know, <laughs> for my <laughs> for my blood sacrifice. Uh, yeah, can you schedule it on Friday? Thanks. Google Cal. Yeah, recurring. Yeah. Send it Weekly recurring. event. Send me an invite. You know, to better streamline, invite. we're just going to do sacrifices only on Thursdays from 3 to 4 p.m. I hope that time window works with everyone. Please come having had, <laughs> no having lunch during the sacrifice. Thanks. It's a it's <sighs> a, an evolution within society. Rather than a bunch of individual blood sacrifices, it's very wasteful. Just gather together and do one as a group. I mean, It's called lean methodology. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. The 5S system. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, so Victorian monologues to her. It's really fun. It's what everyone wants. While she changes his hand wrappings on the state of the ships, saying that he was foolish to have split the fleet, but had he kept them together, they all would have slowed each other down, right? The faster ships would have been hostage to the slowest, which seems like a metaphor. Am I right? Mm. <laughs> You're on in Victorian. Yeah. Uh, the provisions would have been scarce as well, because no port can really feed 100 warships. Like, no one wants 100 warships in their port and the storms would have scattered them all. So he had separated them, with each of them going a different route to Slaver's Bay. Red Ralph took the Corsair's Road along Sothorios with all the little dinos where men could pay the iron price in the Basilisk Isles for provisions. The heavier, slower ships went through Lease, selling their captives from the Shield Islands. And Victorian, uh, he has an emotion. This is nuts. Mark it down. <laughs> While he hates weaklings, he's like, is this guilt? Do I feel guilty about selling men of Westeros to these Lysini slavers? He thinks that men were not goats or fowl to be sold for gold. See, he and Danny are gonna, they're gonna hit it off. It's like, you know, the best Tinder date ever. He was happy yeah, to they leave. Both hate slavery. Yeah, they hate it. Same kind of thing, right? It's the same thing. 
He's happy to leave this selling, though, to Ralph, because Ralph would load the big ships with provisions. He wouldn't have to look at it. He won't have to deal with it. He could pretend it didn't happen. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. I mean, if someone else does the slaving, it's totally fine. Yeah. Doesn't count, right? Victorian's really good at repressing things. So if he wanted to talk, you know, if he just wanted to keep talking to someone and not have them talk back, maybe Victorian, I'll teach you how to start a podcast. (laughs) Um, Please don't. (laughs) The Iron Podcast. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah he called the iron price the iron price is right Ooh, why didn't oh. anyone make someone right. that for something anyways you get the rant answer wrong you get blood sacrifice or drown that. no oh, drown yeah. sorry drown yeah uh, <laughs> this is the game of thrones <laughs> game show of thrones here it, we've seen it in the previous chapters with victoria and we've seen it in a bunch of the other ironborn chapters too that they are just at an inflection point in general with westeros right where they're being forced to to reflect upon their society and then they have to evolve there is no path there's just no path forward that lets them continue being where they've been balin has set them on a path where they have to choose a course and they just can't go back to the old way even if that was like his dream like there's there are two paths. It's either they take Euron's path, which lets them retain their extremist patriarchal like power sy- power systems and society, but they sacrifice their code of ethics, right? Uh, what what ethics they have? It's not the best ethical core, but they're sa- they would sacrifice that in regards to you know these very uh, blurry lines that they have about slavery, or they give up those ideals they give up having this victory and this like masculine pride follow a woman like asha and that could actually lead to their society rebuilding and being sustainable but uh it it's very much about i think it reminds me a little of like this one society in dying of the light like their society was not sustainable but they were an extremist patriarchal one it was like i don't know how you're fucking living right now how have you kept this up this long somehow they persisted somehow they persisted (laughs) they forgot about somehow they forgot about the iron fleet (laughs) Uh, (laughs) what if george forgets it victorian did not victorian did not forget about the uh volantine fleet (laughs) (laughs) he did not he did not i like what you're saying that if they would just give up a little bit of that pride they could have a sustainable working wonderful society if only Asha was trying to tell them, like... Yep. Well, and I think that's where the future sits, right? Uh, Sea Dragon Point, maybe, a salt and a rock. You know, you have one in the north, one in the islands. Something like that is going to happen for sure, because there's going to be people who want that old way. People who want a new way. salts also rocks? Yeah, well... Um. Have you ever licked one of those lamps? Yes, I have, actually. Uh, anyways, yeah. <laughs> Break the wheel can also refer to the, you know, the wheel you steer the ship with. Uh. Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. It could. You see it kind of like that. His ships crept east along the disputed land, soon to swing south around Valyria, the most heavily trafficked area with prizes and islands for the taking. He tells the dusky woman he cannot wait for more ships as he tears off his bandage, the crust of scab coming off with it. Nice, nice. He explains his plan just like he had done back at Lannisport, sweep in from the sea, smash the slavers unawares, taking the girl and racing for home before getting caught by the Volantines. Yeah, just step three, profit. He's no craven, but he's also no fool. He thinks it's impossible, 53 ships. Are you sure you're no fool? Anyway, the dusky woman will be Daenerys' maid, he says, but they're interrupted by Maester Kerwin, who's young and mustachioed. 
The maester asks to see his hand, and Victarion studies him hatefully, finding him appalling and girly with his smooth pink cheeks and soft brown curls. He used to have a cocky little smirk, too, but he had smiled at the wrong man in the Stepstones, and Burton Humble knocked out four of his teeth. Not too long after that, he complains to Victarion that he was assaulted by four of the crew members below the deck. Victarion had slammed a dagger on the table and said, this is how you stop that. But Kerwin never used it. Yeah. Poor Kerwin. So fucked up. I feel so bad for Kerwin. Like, yeah, it's such a bummer. It is uh, another poisoned little gift, of course, Victarion thinks. But yeah, Kerwin didn't. He didn't sign up for this shit. I'm going to let Eliana talk about Kerwin in a moment, I think, a little more. But there's something that stood out about him telling the dusky woman she's to be Daenerys's maid. And it's really cute. It's really fun. What a fun date idea, right? Like, you get to be her maid forever now. It reminds me a little bit of Tyrion. Well, in the show with Shay, but in the books with Lawless, with Shay being Lawless's maid, Sansa in the show, but Lawless in the books, and that lack of agency that Shay really has, right? And here you have the Dusky Woman has even less than that, right? She can't speak. She can't object. She can't speak for herself. So not only is she being puppeted by Euron's whims as well, whether present or not, now it's Victarion just taking away all her choice. It's also a parallel to Bailey Flowers, I suppose. Yes, yes. Mm, yes. Who she was the one saying that. I'll be his maid or his second salt, what is it? Salt wife, rock wife, whichever one. Mm-hmm. I forget. <laughs> Aaron's salt, like, oh, God, run <laughs> or yeah. swim. Stupid girl. Case. Yeah, but it's too late for her. Yeah. So yeah. you, you, you kind of wonder if that was what the Dusky Woman was, you know, before mm. she didn't get strapped to a prow, but instead she was strapped to. Victorian. I don't know what's worse. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Both of them are pretty bad, and that's a great comparison. You know, the two brothers are not so dissimilar in that, right? They they share that in their background. Yeah, a lot of that comes from, I think, the the society that they have to some extent. Some of it is just like they're bad people. I mean, you're on bad person, Victorian. Also pretty much a bad person, too. And the stuff that happens with Kerwin, though, reminds me of something that our friend Lo had said in regards to gender nonconformity and how those gender roles get reinforced when someone isn't conforming, that sexual power is wielded over them. For the most part, you see that with, for example, like, and, and when we discussed this was in regards to Brienne, right, breaking those gender lines or Arya breaking those gender lines and and how especially like people who are assigned female at birth, like people will rape them in order to try to force them back into submission into where their gender should be. And you kind of see that here with Kerwin to an extent because he seems gender non-conforming for Ironborn society, how sexual dominance is and power is wielded over him. And it gives you a little insight into the way that masculinity is perceived in Ironborn culture, right? There's no questioning like nobody questions the sexuality, right, or, or of the ironborn who rape Kerwin, um, because they're still taking on what they see as that like masculine role or like of sexuality in regards to rapists. And and as I said, I think um, Victorian doesn't really like think much of it. He's like, that's what that guy deserves for that. Um, and it reminds me again a little of Randall Charlie, who's kind of like, don't come to me, Brienne, if something happens to you. It's that same in-the-box thinking where men must be men and women must be women. And if you're not necessarily rooted in how you're born, but how you behave. So he's basically, you're right, he's low is right as well. Say that that's Victorian views 
Kerwin as girly, and to him that is worthy of contempt. Like, we could see him as girlish and just not see that as negative, just see that as what he is, you know? I mean, maybe he is girlish, I don't know. I mean, we don't really know him that well. All we have is Victorian's point of view on him, but that, if, if one of the three of us thought of him that way, it wouldn't be a negative state. For him, it's, yeah, it's, it's the absolute worst, especially because in the next chapter, how he treats the slave boys who were dressed, who were very feminine. He thinks they're the absolute mm. worst. He thinks they're as bad as it gets from his perspective. And he was taught that, presumably, but, but this is one that he really leans into. So this is like some of his worst, because I don't see this from Euron or Theon nearly to the same degree, or even Balon. Like, he's worse than them. Like, Balon was fine with his daughter inheriting. Like, in a way, he was like, an odd, like a slice of mini-progressiveness there from him in a sea mm-hmm. of the old, old way. But yeah, Victorian, this is... Balin was a really good dad to one kid. He was like an exceptionally amazing parent to one child. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I stand by that. <laughs> Sent the other ones off to die or be hostages. And yeah, just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Backwards. One yeah. for three, you know? <laughs> <laughs> one out of four, you know? Four. However many. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like... Worst odds. <laughs> Smudged writing on his hand. Theon? It's hard to keep track when, you know, with with Krakens, you pull a tentacle off and it just regrows anyway. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. There's something also, and we kind of discussed, we discussed this in our Meat House Man Patreon episode, actually, another plug, but something also (laughs) in the way of, like, as a maester, he is not shackled to their society. And by being free and representing that freedom of knowledge and that progression of knowledge, it's a threat in some ways. And by them assaulting him for being different and for not conforming to their society, they're almost like, you know, ruining the freedom that he had and taking it away from him, thraldom in a way, right? Like to, to force him to their whims. And it's interesting. It reminds me of some of Meat House Man of like, when there's something you wish to possess or something you wish to covet, right? Because they are free. That's the ultimate thing that you want. And in a way, like Victorian hates that because he couldn't ever imagine it because he knows he'll never be free from the society yeah. ever. Mm. Yeah. And they want that. They want that and they want to squash it. Power. And the freedom aspect is interesting when you look at it also with the the maesters, right? And, and the chains that are associated with mm-hmm. them. And again, like coming back to Randall Tarley, how he's like, uh, no son of mine will ever wear chains. Yes. Mm. That hatred of that freedom and knowledge. And oh, ironically, the guy who had his, who was stripped of his chain is the one we see most capable of surviving an environment like this, Kyburn, who ended up in the, yeah. the brave companions of the, like the actual worst. <laughs> and he did fine there. Like if Kerwin yeah. was in, Kerwin was in the brave companions, he would have ended like he did here. here. Yeah. Kyburn could have been fine on Victorian ship, quite possibly. Probably would have fixed that hand again, <laughs> coming back to the Jamie parallels. That's true. <laughs> well, actually, though, Maester Kerwin inspects the wound, telling him it's not healing, and if it doesn't stop pussing, we're gonna have to cut it off. And Victorian's like, "I will literally kill you, first of all, so do not." Like <laughs> another literally... Jamie parallel, right? To, to Kyburn, yep. right? <laughs> yeah, I will kill you dead. So deep pussing it is. They cut it open. It's disgusting. It's a really gross description. I can't tell you it without going. Bleh, bleh. Bleh. Can't do it without gagging. Just so just uh, imagine it in your head. And Victorian's like, I want to see all the blood and kind of goads him. So Kerwin presses deeply and Victorian grunts his approval at the pain and the blood. So when they finish, he commands him to clean up and go. The dusky woman binds him back up. Kerwin was like, you should go into the fresh air, sir. 
where the wound kid breathes, and he's like, fuck you. If my men saw this, they would desert. And we have this line. I killed him, but he stabs at me from beyond the grave. From the hot heart of whatever hell I sent him to, he thrusts his steel into my hand and twists. He remembers Ceres' longsword and feels it in his hands as he flexes. He calls it a scratch from a little kitten and thinks on when he originally bound it, how it festered. He's like, was the sword poisoned? Why else would it refuse to heal? I can think of at least 50 other reasons why this wound will not heal than poison. I don't personally think that he had poisoned his sword. No. But like, maybe it's something to do with the fact that you keep binding it in a damp, dark, stuffy room and you don't let it breathe. And also you're on a deep sea adventure and you're battling and drinking every hour. You know, those are just some guesses. Just back a couple. To, back to the Drogo comps, right? He's like, I drink what I want and I ride what I like. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yep. That's going to work out for you. <laughs> Yep. It probably doesn't help that, like, you know, the first things that he did when he got that wound, he's like, what if we handle the dead bodies? What if I go have <laughs> sex instead of binding it up? You know, sex, notoriously known for being a very clean activity. Mm-hmm. Fun, not necessarily clean. Um, anyways. <laughs> fluids, fluids, fluids. Yes, all fluids. of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bodies. I- isn't it amazing, though, that out of all the crazy, gross, terrifying stuff in this chapter, that bucket of pus is definitely the worst thing? <laughs> I kind of I, I find it so fascinating. I don't know, but I think I like those pimple fascinating. popping bits. So. Uh. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so stressed out right now, Eliana. Don't stress me out like this. <laughs> she does this to me like every week, Aziz. I don't. <laughs> Is it like Jerry mm. Maguire? Show me the bloody. <laughs> yeah, literally the bloody. The bloody. So gross, <laughs> Eliana. Do you have a metaphor for us? Oh, I do. You know, the festering wound on, on Victorian and how he's like, no one can see, no one can know that I have this pain and this wound and it, and it rotting is very much, it makes me think about that grief, right? Beginning of this chapter and, and that Victorian and the poison in his family with Euron, right? Just rotting everything. That's the real poison, not anything you put on your sword. <laughs> it's guilt. That's amazing. I, I do. Kind of, I yeah. like the way he described that. That was like a really poetic... He stabs at me from beyond the grave, from the hot heart of whatever hell. I was like, eh. And it, it's a re- reminder of how supposedly a lot of real world Vikings were actually into poetry, which is hmm. like an ancient form of rap battle, I suppose. And oh, uh, yeah, they I would compete with swords and, uh, and poetry. Yes. So Victorian is channeling a little of that energy, I think, here. <laughs> <laughs> the, the I fly to you on things just sink in for me, Chloe. <laughs> Uh, it's the the wings of song that he soars to Daenerys on. He's a poet. I'm not kidding. I'm like serious that he is a poet. Yeah. And yeah. Well, we were speaking of the the Viking poems because I think was it last Victorian yes. episode where you invoked? Yeah, yeah. And then our friend Shiloh. Our friend Shiloh was telling us, you know, about how uh, Tolkien definitely did some Norse names for the dwarves and uh, like all of them, all of them, <laughs> yeah, literally ripped them all straight out of Norse poetry. And so. There's a little Norse poetry going on here with uh, Victorian with his wings of song for Daenerys later. And not only that, but it, it kind of reminds me of what I told Eliana. My Victorian voice is somewhat based off of, which is Clayface from Harley Quinn, the DC animated show Harley Quinn. I don't know if you've watched this show, Aziz, have you? No, I am aware of it, but I have not actually watched it. Okay. It's very good. You should check it out. It's totally great. It's like really gritty and dark, but hysterical and bright and campy. 
but Clayface is a, a he wants to be an actor, an actor. Sorry. Oh, like Taylor Venus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and he's Clayface, so he can you know form his body in different ways, and he's kind of like a big lumpy idiot with like a heart of poetry, and that that could be Victorian, you know, that could be him. The hot heart of poetry. <laughs> hot heart of poetry. Yeah. <laughs> The thought of poison pisses Victorian off, thinking that poison is for Cranigmen, Cravens, women, and Dornishmen. He wonders about if the maester was poisoning him, and that the crow's eye gave him the maester, taken off of Greenshield originally, where he served Lord Chester. His brother had also sent him with three cages of ravens for Kerwin to send word back with, but Victorian had forbidden him to loose them. Let him stew and wonder. Yeah, lot stands out here. First of all, Victorian, you're running out of people to name soon in that <laughs> list of people that you think would use poison. He's like, everyone, that's not me. Uh, that stood out when you read it out loud. I'm like, huh, interesting. Good portion of people in that list. Yeah. Uh, Cravens is like not a, it's not like a narrow category, you know? Yeah, it could be anyone. I'm like, that's like 75% of all people. I'm a craven You're little a craven. bitch, yeah. I'm a craven. <laughs> Wait a second, how come you were so fast to call me a craven? Okay. No, I, it was both of wow. us. Wow, but me mm. first. Mm. Anyways. Well, I, you know. We don't have time to divorce on page today, so. <laughs> uh, not in front of our guest, Eliana. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, so all he can think about is how he's like, yeah, don't loose those ravens. Fuck, fuck you on. I'm not telling him what I'm doing. Ravens, you know, birds. Things that are famously skin changed into by people with abilities to skin change and work. Like, loose them, you idiot. You're being spied on. That Why would he give you three whole cages of ravens to send word back with? Because he knows you're not going to send them. They're going to be cramped in this little cage and be shitting themselves. You're going to have PETA up in your dick. Send them out. You're being spied on, you fool. Boo-boo the fool. They probably can't even get back to Westeros. <laughs> I mean, they don't know where the fuck yeah, they are. Wait, that's a good point. Oh my god, like, they don't right. know how they to get no back to. They the, are. And they were like let from the shield. So even if they did go back to Westeros, they'd go to the Shield Islands, not to wherever Euron is. They certainly can't find the that. silence. <laughs> or you know, like, Victorian did not think this through. Unsurprisingly, which Euron knew he would not do. Uh, yeah, so he doesn't know how ravens work. He's like, yeah, they go to where you tell them. I don't know how ravens work. Yeah, <laughs> it's so hard. Like that, we know what his brother's capable of, and he refuses to know. Because I'm like Victorian, you big fucking idiot. Like, don't you know that your brother's a nightmare? Holy shit, don't you know? <laughs> My God, and he does, but he doesn't. Right? Like, obviously, he's he's keeping those thoughts away. He's like, we're not going to think about that today. Otherwise, I might hate my life. <laughs> but this entire mission feels like such a trap for him. And his pride is just turning that shit invisible. Yep. It it makes me think of two things, right? The the numbers of ships that he has now. It makes me think of the the thing that broke apart the triarchy back then when only one of them came back with most of their ships during that, that war. And then also makes me think of Roose Bolton sending some of those troops ahead and be like, mm, the ones that were not really pledged him and be like, mm, why don't you go scout that out? And then they all fucking die. <laughs> and it feels like, yeah, they're kind of trying to, he's trying to get rid of Victorian's power because Victorian's power in, in the Iron Islands is very much his reputation as leading the Iron Fleet and literally the martial power that they bring. 
But mm. also, yeah, the birds, if anyone here has a right to be like, wow, I hate the color of this water. I hate only seeing fucking water all the time and not seeing the shore. It is the birds. Yeah, they love to fly. Those bitches love flying. This is bullshit. <laughs> They're birds. That's what they love to do. Yeah, flat, flat, bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a bummer bummer for those burbs. Mm-hmm. Man, well, now I'm like they're lost. I never even considered that till Aziz said it. I'm like, oh my god, the birds are lost. Did you, did have y'all heard about how that was actually a a way an explore, exploratory tactic used? No, you, you would let go ravens or other birds. This, there was an actual Viking explorer named Floki Ravenfriend. Who figured Funky. this out? He fl- he sailed out, and you know, and he would let the birds go. And if the birds come back to the ship, there's no land because mm-hmm. the birds oh, wouldn't yeah, want to yeah, come back sense. to the ship otherwise. Yeah. If they if there's land, they're like, I'm gonna go over there. Fuck this ship. There's trees over here. Scouting. So they yeah. So that was their like canary in a coal mine, except a lot less danger to the birds. Uh, so yeah. this is sort of like the, I don't know, the inverse of that, I guess, maybe. <laughs> All of these crucial thoughts are being interrupted by Longwater Pike, who announces the captain of the grief coming aboard with a prisoner, a wizard fished out from the sea, a monster of a man, tall as Victorian, twice as wide, a belly like a boulder, Victorian's is just like a rock, uh, <laughs> with a tangle of bone white hair like a lion's mane, black skin with slave tattoos across his face. A gift from the drowned god, Longwater Pike says, and marks of evil, Victorian thinks, on his tattoos. There's something there, Victorian thinks that the slave tattoos are marks of evil because of his religion. He finds the slave evil as opposed to being like, oh, that's evil because it's slavery, right? How evil that this person was forced to get their face tattooed. So he is thus evil as well. Yeah, Victorian, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting way of framing people who are associated with something even though they had no say in it yeah him that doesn't really make a difference apparently (laughs) yeah thinking less of them thinking smaller of them yeah i'm like i feel like you've got this all wrong victorian but he's got a lot of things wrong he's like how could you let yourself be enslaved and it's like it's in the words in the words you're saying especially looking like he does like how did that guy get enslaved like cast a spell or something (laughs) but he came off it's interesting that grief found him so that seems important Uh. Yeah. Metaphorical or something, literary, literally significant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he had been t- ten days in the water, which Victorian says should have driven him mad from drinking seawater. Yeah, probably. But it was holy, and priests would use it. But no mortal man could drink it for days and hope to live. Well, what if they're not a mortal man? Anyways, he asks the man if he's a sorcerer, but he answers that he was a slave of Rolor, a red priest, and the red priest Victorian had seen wore rich red robes of silk or velvet, but this one was dressed in very pale pink, salt-stained, and faded rags. A pink priest, Victorian announced. A demon priest, Patui, said Wolf One Ear. Might be his robes caught fire, so he jumped overboard to put him out, suggested Longwater Pike to General Laughter. <laughs> Wait, who's General Laughter? He's the General one of the. Yeah, never mind. Fired. Oh my god. Fired for that one. No, of these. no, because um. even the monkeys were amused. They chattered <laughs> overboard, and one flung down a handful of his own shit to spatter on the boards. Victorian Greyjoy mistrusted laughter. The sound of it always left him with the uneasy feeling that he was the butt of some jape he did not understand. 
Euron Crow's eye uh, had oft made mock of him when they were boys. So had Aaron before he had become the damp hair. Their mockery oft came disguised as praise until sometimes Victorian did not even realize he was being mocked. Not until he heard the laughter. Then came the anger, boiling up in the back of his throat until he was like to choke upon the taste. That was how he felt about the monkeys. <laughs> it's like he's, he just like gets somehow he, he's back to the monkeys. <laughs> like there's this gigantic red priest who lived in the sea for 10 days. that's freaking everyone out. And he's like, goddamn monkeys. <laughs> also, he's so worried about the laughter, which like whatever. You can't help it if your men are going to be laughing at your situation but i distrust shit being flung on me more than i distrust <laughs> laughter being done about me if that makes sense like i would be more concerned mm-hmm. about all the shit yeah right i it's don't a know I, I, good same. example of victorian like just not seeing he's too dumb to he's in his own but he's in his box it's again he's he's just stuck in his box and he can't tell what else is mm-hmm. happening yeah you've got way bigger you wonder how much of his courage derives from pure ignorance like some of he's definitely still brave i mean he not ignorant to the dangers to some of the dangers he's sailing into right. but but he's as yeah. as the quote says a minute he's blind to the the strings <laughs> right or whatever yeah so he is yeah. there's a lot of blindness yeah. here still yeah and it, it kind of reminds me a little almost of tywin but you know not nearly as crafty but in terms of hating laughter and shit but not not shit apparently he doesn't hate the shit enough <laughs> it doesn't bother it's him. uh bad. and it's big stannis vibes right Distrusting yeah, laughter too. Yeah. Nothing like a bucket yeah. of pus. I mean, yeah, Ugh. they would hate our podcast. Um, Why'd you have to bring that shit up again, Jesus? <laughs> because <laughs> shit. Can't help it. <laughs> shit and pus. Yeah, this, this is, is a this very. Is a, this is a chapter. George, what up? So, speaking of uh, the the color here stuff. is is pretty neat because if you go back to the very first line, right? <laughs> Not the pus, luckily, the- but the the. the- <laughs> The sky. The shit? No. The first the line of the yeah, chapter. Yeah, I was like, did you mean again. the poop? The first line of the chapter is grief oh. alone appeared at daybreak. Her black sails stark against the pale pink skies of morning. That's the pink robes. Then he gets the black oh, robes. Oh, yeah. And that's the ship yes. he comes off I of. I love that. Yeah. I, love I love that. that. That's gorgeous. I, I thought you were about to tell me about the color of the shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't uh, think we got that. that. Yeah. Uh, I was like, where did, where did you get the detail? <laughs> so... Aziz is really full of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Better than shit, I guess, right? Uh, True. Out than in, it? I always say. <laughs> Burton Humble urges them to drown him. Wolf points out the entire crew disappeared. The wizard, Mikoro, however, defends himself and is like, it was from a storm that my crew disappeared. The monkeys don't really even seem to like him, but Mikoro stays really calm in the face of everyone hating him. Like, you gotta hand it to him at this moment. Aspirational. Victorian respects that, despite himself, like, against, like, compared to Kerwin, who he just can't stand because he sees him as soft. He's like, this this guy's tough. (laughs) Boulder tough. Yeah. (laughs) We get a great intro and look at him in Tyrion's chapters from before he was out at sea in this manner. It would be remiss not to share it. A huge man taller than Sir Jorah and wide enough to make two of him, the priest wore scarlet robes embroidered at sleeve and hem and collar with orange satin flames. His skin was black as pitch, his hair as white as snow. The flames tattooed across his cheeks and brow, yellow and orange. His iron staff was as tall as he was and crowned with a dragon's head. When he stamped its butt upon the deck, the dragon's moss back crackling green flame. An important color, I'm mm. sure. I love that description, though. I think it's he's a cool fucking character. 
I like that yeah. we get him across a couple plots, and he's the one that I don't think Victorian will survive his chapters, but Makoro will definitely survive Victorian's chapters. He'll still die, probably, but he'll yeah. at least survive them. Yeah, Makoro is so fascinating. Is like the parallel to Melisandre, you know, someone who's on the so-called right track to the, the, the correct savior. <laughs> really, really wonder how he's going to interact with Danny. Just super curious. I mean, I'm... I don't even know if Victorian will interact with Danny at all, but if he does, I'm a little curious about that. But Makoro, man, that'll be so cool and interesting, especially if there's people like Tyrion and or Barristan and other advisors around who will weigh in or be freaked out. <laughs> be like, <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that. That's that's exciting. Yeah, I do want to see how they, they interact. And like if Marwyn's there too, everyone all together, it'll be really interesting. Makoro really feels like a really feels like a character from Elden Ring. Um, yes. I can say that. Like, with the massive, yeah. I yeah, can say now that, that now. You've, have, did you start? How Have you gotten out of the cave yet? We don't Chloe? need to answer that second question, but yes, I started All Elden right. Ring recently, and I would like to go play it at some point <laughs> this weekend, I think, um, and maybe get out of the cave. Thanks, bitch. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> the cave is fucking hard. It's hard. I'm not, like, I, I'm not, um... I just need to get into it a little more. I think I need to get more comfortable with the sticks and the tools and the things because I'm more of a Civilization VI kind of gamer or a Sims 4 or a Stardew Valley or, you know, I like I like my little my little dopamine hits and I do like games like Elden Ring, but I need a little, just need time, I think. It'll come to me. It's fucking hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing and it's hard is what I'm saying. <laughs> I can't decide if I should like tell you or just like let you. I think the journey is its own thing. You enjoy the journey. Don't um, talk to me. Just like <laughs> don't just like Victorian's <laughs> enjoying this journey. Victorian thinks that perhaps like his brother. Maybe I too am meant to have my own wizard. <laughs> he asks why they call him a wizard, and the vole says that this guy knew their path for Slaver's Bay before anyone even told him, and he knew that Victorian would be here on this island and told them that Victorian would die unless they brought him to the captain. And Victorian is about to command them to cut this guy's throat out, throw him in the sea until a throb of agony goes through his arm. Everyone freaks out and gives the command and said, and Victorian yells, no, and he orders everyone back to their duties. And they almost don't listen to him for a split second. And the best part of this book, Chloe, Chloe's favorite part of this book. My favorite part of the chapter for sure. I, I made this I quote. Know, the book. I made this quote very big. It's just such a good line. It's big, y'all. She's not lying. <laughs> it is twenty point font <laughs> in an eleven point font doc. Am I right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Monkey shit rained down around them all. Splat, splat, splat. It's giving onomatopoeia. It's giving everything it has. Thank you, George. Thank you for all of your hard work in A Dance with Dragons. The Ironborn chapters have an unusual amount of that. They also have the, the horn. Oh, yeah. Where he actually types out 20-some E's, you know? It's that Norse song, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, yes, the horns of Valhalla. The poetry. And the monkey shit of Valhalla. <laughs> it's coming down. <laughs> so I guess this brings back to the... L- us back to the literary indicator monkeys that I mentioned a bit prematurely. They are you you there's just no ambiguity here, I think. You can't interpret these as like evil monkeys or misguided monkeys. No, they are correct, probably, most certainly, to object to blood magic. <laughs> 
and whatever else is going on in that cabin that we can't see because we don't know. Narrative jumps away from the chapter, which in itself is very telling in its lack of telling. So, yeah. Yeah. Even the dusky woman agrees with the monkey. She's like, if I had shit, I would throw it too. But dad, she, she just hisses. Shit? Yeah, basically, oh. right? Well, she probably shits. Like, Everyone shits. She shit. couldn't have any ready. Couldn't she? You know. yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I love that. He, he once He comes in and like opens the door and she just immediately starts hissing like a serpent when she sees yeah. the wizard, Mikoro. Hiss with me, sisters. Um, very indicative, you know? Like, wow, maybe we should not trust. Put yourself in her spot. Like, where the hell did this guy come from? They're on a ship at sea. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, like, have they met like, before? People don't just drop by. <laughs> yeah. That's you what can't I'm visit your have neighbor. They, have they met, like, somewhere <laughs> sure. else on land, you know? Well, that's oh. interesting. Oh, that would be interesting. Fellow slaves? Yeah. Is it like, are they were they fellow slaves? Did she, like, see Makoro do something before and has seen him? Or does she just distrust slaves of Relore in general, right? Does she distrust yeah. sorcerers in general? Or can she sense something? Is there something that we don't realize that she can sense or if she's being skin changed? I don't know. Yeah. Like, Euron's like, I don't like this. This is not part of my plan. You're right. It's difficult to tell because there's so many reasons she could react that. One is just pure surprise, as we said. Like, why the hell is this guy here? Second of all, he's crazy intimidating looking and gigantic and fearsome. Third, yeah, sorceress, whatever. Fourth, just... All that put together, you know, just <laughs> hitting you at once. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of reasons. Yeah, my but. my reading of it was actually that she probably wasn't alone in this moment is kind of how I took it. Um, to me, mm. it felt definitely more like a visceral reaction that might come from someone who saw the sorcerer as a threat. And I do think it's probably maybe Euron was waiting, right? Maybe he was checking in to see what Victorian was up to, and that's not what he expected because to me... Mikoro definitely feels like possibly something that wouldn't have been planned by Euron, would not have been planted on this trip. And yeah. Euron carefully crafted every single thing on this hell ship right now for Victorian to like come up against and reverse psychology him on, as Aziz mentioned. So uh, I think this could be, especially if he was waiting for his lovely Victorian to come to bed, to come to the chamber, you know, like this, he probably figured he's coming, checked in using his eyes to see where the fuck Victorian is around this boat, his CCTV that he has going on between the birds and the dusky woman. And that hiss seemed like it might be from him. I mean, I would be pretty mad if yeah. this crazy wizard just shows up and saves my brother's life. Yeah. He'd be super frustrated. Like, where the, what the hell? Where did she even come from? I mean... <laughs> I did not bank on a fourth. I did not agree to this. It like, changes there's... the variable. And what's... It really changes, like, that's like a variable that I'm sure Euron would not have thought could have happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's and true. like, Makoro instantly is like, well, for me to live, for me to get to Daenerys, I need to save this man's life. These other Ironborn won't take me there. They want me dead now. So... It's like his one way to get there, and that's exactly counter to Euron's plan, apparently, or in some other way. If that's not the exact way it undermines his plan, it, it undermines it in some way. Certainly a monkey wrench. A monkey wrench! Ha! Oh, ha! a monkey wrench! <laughs> I'm notoriously bad at, like, I think, identifying red flags. I don't know why. I'm just like, I think I trust Makoro. I think Makoro seems like a cool dude. He's done nothing yet, in my opinion. 
that makes me distrust him other than like all of the signs that he's untrustworthy. Maybe he's bad news for Victorian, but I just wanted to put that. I trust him. That's absolutely the question I have too. Is it one of those things where then all this negative dark imagery is aimed at Victorian or is it aimed just in general? Because mm. I, th I think you're right, Eliana. I think it's a good chance that if Makora may not be a good guy, but he is absolutely pro Danny. So if you're rooting for Danny, then you want Makoro to provide his skills to her, even if some of it might not be smooth and great and perfect. <laughs> yeah. You still, yeah. it's better than alternatives, you know, a lot of the others, I guess. Yeah. There's something like, I, I'm sure that's like bad about him, but for me, I'm always just like, yeah, Makoro seems fun. I'm glad that he's here in this story. <laughs> Victorian's really rude, though, to the dusky woman and her reaction and so commands her to be quiet and demands the wizard tell him what he saw of his fate and if he would die in battle. He, is this also when Victorian, like, smacks her, which is terrible? Um, Probably. And there's this line that Makoro actually delivers of, your death is with us now, my lord, when, when asked about it. And it's implied that it is about his hand. But the phrasing actually really reminds me of Cersei meeting Maggie the Frog and Maggie saying mm -hmm. to Malara of, your death is here tonight, little one. Can you smell her breath? She is very close. And so I'm like, well, what is... Makoro didn't really, I think, answer that in a very straightforward way then. All right. Like, is he implying that it's the dusky woman? Or, like, that Victorian's just doing dumb shit and would be his own death? Like, is it him? Is Makoro the death? Is it, like, all of these people, as you've said, like, on this ship? Or the Ravens? Or any other thing? It could be both Victorian and Makoro if you believe that Victorian does die here and then is resurrected during this entire ceremony. I don't know. But uh, I just thought that was a weird phrasing. I don't think you're wrong, necessarily. And, I mean, it's something we'll come back to at the end of the episode, I have a couple thoughts on even more, but it, I mean, really, there's a gateway here being shown. We're seeing it in so many other plots, and right this moment, it does make me think of Magor, right? In the tower. Oh, interesting. Mm. Um, it mm. definitely makes me think of Magor in the mm. tower, especially because we don't, yeah. after he says yes, we don't actually really see the inside, we see it from the outside, and then out he comes. So... I think more to come on that in just a few, but I think I like your little tinfoil, Eliana. I like it. Mm -mm. I think I might. Oh, thank you. I like it, and I'm going to add to it in a bit, so buckle up. You yeah. can bake something on my tinfoil. Oh, I'm gonna. Line a, pa line a pan with it. And I don't know if it's even tinfoil, like, to be quite honest. True, like, true. Some of these plot elements are there. It might be more parchment paper, okay? Oh, interesting. Parchment paper. That is useful. <laughs> I'm a big parchment paper believer. <laughs> Not all tinfoil like, is tinfoil, yeah. you know? Not all tinfoil is tinfoil. Just saying. Yeah, they got silicon, like, uh... Pants, like, yeah. Sheets now, too, yeah. 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 <laughs> Mikoro says he's seen Victorian in his night fires, stern and fierce, his axe dripping blood, blind to the tentacles that grasp him at wrist and neck and ankle, the black strings that make him dance. What could that mean? Does anyone know what that could mean? I just can't figure it out. I'm just, maybe I'm getting a little Victorian brain here, but just can't figure it out. Uh, this does make me think, though, I definitely, like, I, I'm erring on the side. I don't think Mikoro is any agent of Euron's. However, if he was, mm. or maybe not agent, but could Euron manipulate his dreams, right? This dream right here specifically 
It reminds me of Mel looking into the flames and seeing Bran and Bloodraven, right? If they're operating on the same magical plane in some sort of way, maybe they could mess with dreams or step into people's consciousness in that way. Maybe Euron could be manipulating what Makoro sees in his flames. Ooh. Next level. Yeah, 5D yeah. chess, you know? Yeah. 5D. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like that idea. It's pretty cool. It might be kind of along the way of him being speaking in misdirection where he says, your death is, is with us. He might be referring to himself as one of the people manipulating Victorian, given that he's just trying to hitch a ride to Danny and has no intention of helping him kidnap her. And he literally ensorcels him at the arm or wrist. Oh. And he says, the, you know, the tentacles that grasp you at the wrist. Like, he, Which of the people that you're worried about just actually cast a spell on you, Victorian? <laughs> you know, maybe consider this guy, you know, maybe that everyone is warning you. The dusky woman, Burton Humble, like all these people are like, don't trust this guy. And you're like, no, nah, I'm going to let him use magic on me. But I mean, he, to be fair, he probably would have died if he hadn't. So but I don't know that Vic had a whole lot of choice You just said here. something, Either way, though. he's ensorcelled. He could have cut off his hand. Yeah. And. Oh, yeah, that's true. You're right. There's almost something right. now I'm mm -hmm. wondering, and I've never looked at the text this way so like the next chapter now i I might have had my mind just change a little but mm. you just said which i have to say a plus 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 in sourceling thank you for that that was the best word i've ever heard in my life um <laughs> he does in his arm slash wrist after this what if euron's not able to use him as a post after that to look through mm. Ooh. like what if we don't see any more oh. nightmares no blood in the mouth that's what i'm gonna pay attention to now because i'm like what if he just mm. cut and severed those tentacles and made him have a little oh. less visibility from euron through him stronger control is more direct like most a lot of euron's manipulation was just regular manipulation using magic to help that but he's not directly like magicking him this is direct magic yeah or like, <laughs> like breaking Euron it. didn't actually cast a spell yeah. on him he more like talked him into all this and then is using magical means to support yeah. that plan this is this is and like, maybe this stops that maybe this stops those magical plans yeah, yeah. by cutting those ties yeah. maybe the firearm now will he's controlled that. by yeah. yeah especially if he's dead like you like you suggest is a possibility which is it is possible it, then yeah, like that completely would change. Yeah, all, you would think stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like now allowing John to get out of the Night's Watch or whatever. <laughs> and, and to provide some some context on that, I think that was a theory that Brendan B. Fish was very um, adamant about that uh, during this chapter, Victorian is perhaps killed and then brought back during this ceremony of or whatever to heal his his hand. So that's what I was referring. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I think that's definitely a possibility. And I, well, 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 we'll come to that in a moment. But first, Victorian says, he's like, I am no dancing puppet. <laughs> Brandishing his hand okay. inside of his face, too. He's like, here's my pussy hand. I'm going to throw it in your face right now, Makoro. Yeah. As opposed to the gussy hand. <laughs> he shoves it in his face. Like, what the? Yeah, showing him his pus and blood-filled bandage. If only Makoro was Eliana, she'd be so excited. I mean, you don't know that Makoro isn't excited. Oh, my God. That man has a lot of control <laughs> over his emotional reaction, as we've seen. Yeah, most nurses are, like, into gross shit. My mom's a nurse. She's gross. She likes gross, weird things. She's like, oh, that's disgusting. Let me learn about it. That is interesting. I'm learning a lot about your mom this week. <laughs> 
Some red priests gaze into the flames, others gaze into the pus. Yeah. I bet you can see a lot. <laughs> yeah. You can see a lot in there. <laughs> so Makoro basically pegged Victorian as a mark within, you know, 32.4 seconds after seeing him. Like, this guy is going to be easy to manipulate. It's almost like he has an older brother and family that's been manipulating him his whole life, and Makoro caught on to that. Or it's also, like, almost like Makoro can see the future, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it was basically more re reverse psychology. He did the same thing Euron did. He's like, oh, only a brave man could, oh, I'm a brave man. He's like, oh, dancing puppet. You know, he's like, I'm no puppet, you know? So he'll do anything to break that impression, which yeah. enables Makoro to suggest all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> like... Let me ensorcel you then. <laughs> I'm so obsessed with that word. So I, obsessed. Yeah, let's keep you. Let's, let's, make, it, let's make it a thing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a way that you phrased it just now in regards to Makoro, you know, seeing Victorian as an easy mark and how Victorian is easy to manipulate by Makoro or anyone else. Because as you said, right, he's been manipulated his whole life. And it, you know, it's kind of sad when you think about it in, in, relation to how they talk about skin changing right that a horse that's been broken once is easy to mm. to break and i and like i think people can learn to become more resilient to manipulation i'm just talking about my own baggage again but okay. anyways like <laughs> but i i think that that's really interesting in the context of victorian right like if and when we talk about him in relation to a potentially skin changing brother who controls people that you know, on one hand, you have it literally with the skin changing. On another, you have it on a thematic level. Yeah. Mm. So the wizard requests a silver or iron blade and a brazier, warning Victorian that there will be terrible pain. But when he is done, he'll at least still have his hand. And Victorian says, fine, but if you fuck up, I am throwing you into the sea. And so we come to the last two paragraphs of the chapter. The Iron Captain was not seen again that day, but as the hours passed, the crew of his Iron Victory reported hearing the sound of wild laughter coming from the captain's cabin. Laughter deep and dark and mad. And when Longwater Pike and Wolf One-Eye tried the cabin door, they found it barred. Later, singing was heard, a strange high wailing song in a tongue the maester said was High Valyrian. That was when the monkeys left the ship, screeching as they leapt into the water. Come sunset... As the sea turned black as ink and the swollen sun tinted the sky a deep and bloody red, Victorian came back on deck. He was naked from the waist up, his left arm blood to the elbow. As his crew gathered, whispering and trading glances, he raised a charred and blackened hand. Wisps of dark smoke rose from his fingers as he pointed at the maester. That one. Cut his throat and throw him in the sea, and the winds will favor us all the way to Marine. Makoro had seen that in his fires. He had seen the wench wed, too, but what of it? She would not be the first woman Victorian Greyjoy had made a widow. Wow. Metal. <laughs> what a metal chapter. Woo! Yeah. That end and the scorched hand. Woo-hoo! That is... Yeah. I mean... That's wild. Yeah. And you've brought up some re really great points about how it's giving very Miri Mazdur. It's very much like Cal Drogo. Mm -hmm. And it seems intentional of a parallel, right, when you have Daenerys as the end goal for Victorian. Eh. Yeah. Even the language is really similar, and the coloring that is in the background of it, but when at last Daenerys found the strength to raise her head, she saw the crowd dispersing, the Dothraki stealing silently back to their tents and sleeping mats, 
Some were saddling horses and riding off. The sun had set. Fires burned throughout the Kalisar, great orange blazes that crackled with fury and spit embers at the sky. She tried to rise, and agony seized her and squeezed her like a giant's fist. The breath went out of her. It was all she could do to gasp. The sound of Miriam Azdur's voice was like a funeral dirge. Inside the tent, the shadows whirled. Coming to the shadows and the smoke and the fire. Very similar chapters in that aspect. And there's something interesting here about him being able to come out and immediately command, uh, throw that one in the water, keeping control of his crew, because... I kind of feel like a huge theme as we get through Feast and Dance comes to some of these supernatural characters, right? Like we start with Barrack's state, which is kind of Barrack Dondarian being alive slash dead is like the worst kept secret in Westeros, right? You keep hearing rumors that he's died every other day. You meet him and it's like, oh, you look like you're dead a little bit, bro. Uh, And then all the people around them kind of, you know, the brotherhood, they kind of keep it secret. They're like, yeah, we don't ask questions about that. He's fine. He's alive. We don't know much about it. (laughs) And you see that start to break down, right? Because as the Brotherhood breaks apart, as war continues to tear them apart, Beric, it's kind of a not lesser known secret. Everyone kind of starts to know it. People start to accept it of his group or they don't. And they leave and abandon them. And it becomes kind of a gateway drug to accepting Stoneheart, right? Because as we see at the end of Dance, by that time... That whole crew has split completely, and some of them are following Stoneheart, and some were like, absolutely not. I will not be doing that. And then you have that parallel of Kyburn and Robert Strong, right? His newest creation when Jamie wasn't enough. Uh, Robert Strong, quote unquote, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We all believe he's Robert Strong, but even though it's so silly and quite obviously Gregor Clegane to us, it's taboo. You can't say that out loud. People will freak out about that. People will abandon that leadership. They will abandon the cause. So for him to come out with this confidence immediately, he had to, right? And and immediately, Mm. like, say it's his fault. Get him off the ship. This guy's in. That guy's out. If he hadn't, like, his crew could abandon him. If he is undead, if he is Magor in this up, his crew could abandon him, right? Because they might be like, that's fucked up. I don't know about all that. He'll become a very interesting comparison to Euron. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the fourth wall breaking, like, I guess, what is it? The last sentence of A Game of Thrones is in the first time in hundreds of years, the night awoke with the sound of dragons. So, yeah, even like you said, you pointed out that that the writing techniques were some were similar. And that's that's kind of what I was saying here with by comparing those quotes and, and some of the other things that are similar, like the singing, mm-hmm. like they're singing in both of these cases. And it's it's scary. And when. Danny's handmaidens run away uh, when the spell starts because she uses that black powder, mm. and uh, which Melisandre later refers to as fear powder. Mm. <laughs> and so you have all these like similar things where the 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 fear is overwhelming to is expressed that people can't even help themselves running away. In this case, it's the the monkeys leaving the ship, the, the Ironborn can't run away. They're at, yeah, see, they have nowhere to run. But the, uh, the monkeys are actually jumping into the wall. Like, that, that's suicide, right? The monkeys are just dying, right? That's how freaked out they are that they're killing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They see so, something's up. Like, something's more dangerous. Yeah. It's real bad. <laughs> it's really like, oh my God. And it's also the same sort of manipulation. Like, I seriously doubt killing Kerwin changed the winds. It might have. But Makoro probably may have just predicted the winds because he can see the future and was like, well, kill this guy and that'll happen. 
Kind of the way Euron does that, where he tricks people into thinking things he's doing are magical when they're not. Uh, Mel Sauter does that too. With There's the leeches. a number of examples of pretending to do magic to make your other magic seem stronger or just to make yourself seem more magical. In yeah, here it's like the move you have to do in order for your crew not to fucking like freak out like the monkeys and leave. Kill the maester, blame it on yeah. him, say he's responsible for this mess because your culture already hates him. We've proven that in this chapter. So he's an easy person to get rid of. Makoro may have just sensed that. Hmm. Yeah, like we can't have someone who knows what's going on. Any, any other person, any other knowledgeable person has to go. The dusky woman, he's not worried about because she can't talk, but here's a maester of the Seven Kingdoms who might be able to out him or at least sense, figure it out. Yeah, just get rid of the smart guy. The skeptic. (laughs) We see most maesters are skeptical of magic, Mm -hmm. so get rid of the one who would question any of it. And like he would perhaps question the thing I Mm -hmm. just said. Like he really was the murder really the reason for the wins, or just a a cat's paw, just a way to you know pretend he already knew what was going to happen with the wind and just added this to it. He's getting rid of getting rid of his own his own Aaron Greyjoy and. I what also stood out uh, beyond the singing was that apparently hearing laughter, all of this wild laughter when we're yeah. told just a few paragraphs earlier that Victorian hates laughter. So what is that about? Yeah, who's laughing? Like is it the spirits? Is it him? Kind of like the the singing, like yeah. the singing like the singing in Danny's scene was explicitly Miri. Maybe there was multiple singers, but she was singing. But the laughter and, yeah. Also in that scene, there were, like, images and shapes and shadows. And then, of course, what happened to Rego implies time was messed with. The spirit world was perforated somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I do like that the language says, this is a very much an aside, that the sea is black as ink because, you know, krakens, squids. Squid ink. Yeah, I love it's it. His, it's his now. <laughs> it's his it's scene. It's his time. It's his season. Oh my god, Victoria is season. entering his winning era. I'm so excited for him. Yeah. <laughs> That's all <laughs> and I'm exiting yeah. it so soon. I mean, so soon. Him. Bestie. <laughs> Aziz, we have teased this all episode, but I want to hear your take on this with the Trojan War, because I feel like you have a lot of great connections going on with some of these naval moments compared to the Trojan War. Right on. Well, a lot of this is beyond Victorian. So about, I'll try to keep it as Victorian-centered as possible, <laughs> but there's a few things that go beyond him. For example, I have, I've been working on an episode hmm. for a long time called The Trojan War of Five Kings because it has, there's all these elements that have nothing to do with Victorian because it's, you know, the Trojan War was a long thing, 10 plus, more than 10 years just for the war part and then the Odyssey after it. But anyway, some basic familiar elements. The Two of the important characters in the Trojan War, Agamemnon and Menelaus, right? Menelaus is the one who has his wife taken by Paris. Helen runs off with Paris. and But before they were kings, they were driven into exile and returned together to slay the current king and take over, which is a little Euron-like, uh, returning, going into exile, coming back to slay the king and taking over. A lot has been made of Stannis burning Shireen as a parallel to Agamemnon and Iphigenia, because Agamemnon burns Iphigenia to get favorable winds his his um and his people demanded of him it's not just him choosing to do it he does he res, he resists it at first and then that gets pushed on him so that's kind of similar but here we have this again with 
Maester Kerwin sacrificed for wins. It's a little more direct mm. and a lot darker and less built up, but it's it's basically theirs. We have Troy has very imposing walls. It's that's a big feature of it. Marines walls are oh, also yeah. a really big deal. You have a young, beautiful hero dying. Loris, or is he dying? You have you also have Loris portraying the rage of Achilles when he kills Aemon Kai and Robar Royce after finding out his lover has been killed, which is a big part of that story. And we have the ships on the horizon is a big moment in the Iliad when they see the, the Greek armada arrive. And, and as I, of course, as I said earlier, it was a thousand ships, right? Uh, the face that launched a thousand ships and Marjorie starts one of Cersei's chapters with that line. It's the first line of the chapter is a thousand ships. <laughs> and Cersei immediately starts downplaying. Oh, it's got to be an exaggeration. And of course, that's what leads Loras to volunteer to take the take Dragonstone. Then we have the Trojan horse play, which is, of course, one of the most <laughs> famous parts of, of the Trojan War, which Victorian is trying to do with the fleet. He's trying to sneak up with a, <laughs> a, a wooden fleet of fake, you know, fisher fishermen. So it's very similar idea. Just get his army close before anyone realizes that it's his army. There was a plague during the Trojan War. It was that afflicted the Greeks and that's maybe paralleled by the Pale Mare. The Odyssey is, you know, ships getting lost on the way home. So maybe this is the reverse. Victorian loses all these ships on the way uh, to all these weird mystical things. And that might be kind of what happened. That's kind of like what happens on, for the Greeks on the way home. All ironborn are baptized and drowned, kind of like, you know, Achilles being dipped in the river Styx. That's maybe a little bit loose, but I thought I'd throw that in there. You have Achilles fighting with God-forged armor, forged by Hephaestus, mm. and Euron has this Valyrian steel armor, mm. directly fighting against the god. Achilles actually stabs one of the gods during a, uh, I think maybe even Diomedes does too. I forget exactly, but the gods are actually wounded during the Trojan War by Achilles and maybe by one other. Which Euron is trying to basically kill, fight the gods or, or overthrow the gods himself. I think it's kind of Yeah, deep. I love that. Yeah, right? And Hephaestus forges the the armor for Achilles in his forge after Achilles loses his armor. Because it's right, Patroclus puts on Achilles' armor, is killed by Hector, and his armor is lost. So he wants to go kill Hector, but he needs new armor. And, and Hephaestus forges him new armor in his volcano forge and uh, roughly similar to Victorian's firearm, I guess. Then you have the Circe versus Circe, right? That's mm. yes, the, yes. the headed beast of the Odyssey. Yep. Mm. One of one of the men on Odysseus's ship was called Philectetes, and he developed a stinking wound that they just they huh. left him on an island because his wound smelled so bad. So <laughs> Victorian has the same kind of wound. And here's similar to the pigs thing you guys were talking about. I, I should have, I forgot about this one. It's maybe relevant to the all the pigs is that Odysseus's men are turned into pigs. Yes, that's by right. Cersei. Yeah. yeah by, Cer by Cersei. Yeah, you're right. So I, I forgot about that connection. So that's kind of cool. And then there's the the comparison of Danny to Achilles where the, the choice Achilles is given is to go off and fight in the war and become famous and, and known forever or just stay home and be never known again. And Danny, of course, is always thinking about living at the house with the red door, which is kind of a similar fork in the road. Like one is be famous forever and known forever and probably die young and, and, and all that, uh, but be maybe seen as legendary forever or just die in obscurity, living at home, but maybe be happy. Now, in Danny's case, she didn't really have the choice at all. 
You could argue that Achilles didn't either, but he he did. He had a choice. He just he chose to go fight. <laughs> so, and finally, last but maybe least, is that the key river in the Trojan War is the Scamandros, ah. which sounds a lot like the Skahazadon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It has it all the beats. Which is right yeah. by Marine, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's probably more, because this, like I said, I haven't actually sat down to write this episode. I just have a lot of notes. If I were to like really focus and think even more and like freshly read the Iliad or something, which that's not a thing you do lightly, uh, <laughs> no. I would probably find more. And there's and if I threw the idea out there, I'm sure like you guys probably have some ideas. Other people would have some. Oh, yeah. It's such a rich thing. It's such a rich vein of parallel. And I mean, everything's influenced by the Iliad. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Parallel lives. Greek. Greek mythology edition. Yeah. And. You yeah. got your uh, your Patroclus's and Achilles with your Lorises and your Renlies and you got all sorts of fun stuff in there. I love that comparison. Like all of the comparisons were fun, but the armor especially really stood out there for Euron. I love that yeah. one. Yeah. It's black armor too. Yeah. yeah. Was <laughs> black and oily, that one armor. could say. That's good stuff. Yeah. That's cool. We didn't we didn't bring it up, but there's that the way he phrases his frustration, he says this is like a black stone in his Yes, belly. I was wondering you if it was shiny, if that. it was oily. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, obsidian? Yeah, that does sound like a, like, I've heard of passing a kidney stone, but that sounds way worse. I'm a little worried I about kidney it. Kidney stones yeah. are super pa- like painful. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're horrible here. I, uh, oh, man. One of my best friends went to the hospital, and she had them, and she had to like get lasered out and all that fun stuff. And they are, uh, especially for dudes. Sorry, all dudes, yeah. only dudes. It's a very specific genre, but dudes are at risk for that shit. So I've had a I, couple yeah, friends friend. with them. Yeah, rampant, rampant yeah. stones. Victorian. They get it more than once, and he just had to pass it. And I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Ugh. I know some people that yeah. got to keep theirs. Yeah. Like teeth or something, uh, you know, keeping their stones. Fascinating. I wanted my I wanted my tonsils. I was I had my tonsils. Taken <sighs> I did too. I like same, same. I was like, I want them. I was like, I was mad. That I was didn't... four, oh. and they wouldn't let me but have mine, and I was so mad. Why not? I don't know. They just threw them out, I guess, or whatever they did with tonsils. I asked too late. I sh- I needed to put that in the request ahead of time. I mean, <laughs> oh, okay. They were no use. To be fair, they were they... not really usable, obviously, for either of yeah. us. So. This is different than wanting that. They did give me hungry, hungry hippos instead. So. <laughs> I, uh, I had potatoes and ice cream for like two weeks, so I'm not complaining. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I got some ice cream too. Yeah, simpler, <laughs> simpler times. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> better than monkey uh, shit. Way better yeah. than monkey shit. <laughs> or, or being trapped for 10 years in a Trojan War. My God. Actually, kind of really would have been like that, I guess, if you think about it, with the five year gap, it would have been like almost that long for everyone. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that's yeah, not, you're not right. almost actually half half the amount of time, but still, that's a long ass time. No, but the whole series would end up being about a ten year war. Yeah, actually, though, <laughs> yeah, you're right. you're actually right. So mm-hmm. stop saying you're not. Is what I'm saying. Hmm. Be confident, Eliana. Victorian's confident. Why aren't you? Yeah, that no, for real though. Like <laughs> Makoro being like, I do not care that everyone hates me. I was like, wow. Wow, teach me. <laughs> to have the confidence of a middle <laughs> management man. I don't know. I'm going to say have the, have the confidence of <laughs> middle a man. fire sorcerer. <laughs> yeah, no, having that confidence is probably better. Or scarier. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll explore that another time. I could be scary. I can learn to be scary. I'm like, that's the Melisandre POV, so. <laughs> uh, 
I'm not sure you can, Eliana. You might not be what? able to be scary. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Way to kill my dreams on my podcast. Uh, hey, uh, I thought it was a backhanded compliment. Or a front-handed Dang. compliment. Oh, my so God. You're, just too, you're too not scary to be scary. <laughs> <What the> fuck? <laughs> um, uh, Aziz, thanks so much for coming on for, like, your fave character. Victorian, Victorian. I really enjoyed some of the great things you had to say, and I love the fucking Trojan War shit. I'm a nerd. And I yeah. love your. I like when you do your history parallels. <laughs> I love. I love your War of the Roses parallels. I love this. I know you've got lots cooking there. Please, for everyone at home, can you let us know one more time what's coming up for you? How to Google History of Westeros? It's Google.com. <laughs> history of Westeros. Where, where to find you? Yeah, you give us your social media. Yeah, handles give us your too. socials or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, get, tell us where we're. Yeah, we're uh, Westeros History on Twitter, uh, History of Westeros on YouTube, and uh, that's our website as well as is, is History of Westeros, and that's our podcast name on the podcast platforms and the uh, YouTube platform. We are currently, our, our next few episodes lined up are, last week we did an episode on, called Trial by Theory, huh. where we reviewed some theories sent in. Before that, we did Battle of the Trident, which was a lot of fun, talking about, you know, why, uh, why things happened the way they did. Sean had a really great theory on saying Robert Baratheon probably didn't just smash Rhaegar once with his hammer <laughs> and be like, okay, that's it. He, he probably repeatedly smashed him. Even after he was dead, and you know that's why the rubies were everywhere. Oh, and, yeah, and no one talks yeah. about. That, Did he say where is the gold? And... Where is where the... is the money? Where is the gold? Where are the yeah. jewels? Where are they? Where are they? Where yeah. are they? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Where is Lyanna? Where yeah. is? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he would have like, and uh, uh, by real. that point, you know, Brandon and Rickard had been murdered as well. So yeah, they were pretty. Robert was pretty. Robert had a temper anyway, so it's yeah. kind of hard to believe he's just like I'm honorably treating. You know, I, I've killed him, and the battle is over. You know. Uh, anyway, that's the kind of takes you get from my co-host, Sean. And Ashea has lots of great takes. Yes. Too. And we have coming up an episode on Krieg and Stark next week. Then we're going to do one on Kohor. And we do polls for future episodes. So the next one is currently in progress. The poll We are polling for it now. But we do an episode about every week. And uh, we love to live in this world. It's too fun. We aren't leaving. <laughs> Don't try to make us. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I am in full agreement on that. And hey, you guys give your friends and listeners the opportunity to vote in those polls, which is awesome. Eliana and I just subject ours to what no. we think they're going to listen to. So, so yeah, sometimes you ask their opinion and we might take it. Yeah. Is it a guarantee? No. It's also Eliana's <laughs> playground, to be fair. You know, sometimes she gets some great ideas and we just got to go at it. And I'm here, too. Well, I'm, you have ideas. I'm so happy and honored that you invited me to your playground. Because we had a great time playing. Yes, hopefully yeah. you'll be allowed to come back to play soon. I will have, I'm like, I will have my mom, Eliana, call your mom. What? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've... Sounds good. <laughs> seemed only right. You know, they've invited us to their playground quite a few times. Yeah, so quite it a was, few. Here we are, Victorian, finally. <laughs> We're like, here's our yeah, moving seafaring it. playground, you know, the best kind. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're running out of POVs slowly but surely. We got, what, eight left? But I'm sure uh, there will be a spot for you for the next time. Absolutely. Awesome. Or for the wins a winner. You mm-hmm. never know. For wins a winner, Victorian. Oh. Any day now. Oh, Look under goodness. your chair. I wonder how many chapters he has left. It is interesting <laughs> to think about. I'd say a good one. Yeah. 
at least to one. three one, or two. one to three yeah. at least yeah. one more yeah. because we are going to cover it this april <laughs> uh. i just remembered that myself and many people around the fandom created a audio chapter reading of the victorian right. winter chapter oh. and it's got sound effects and the horn and, and stuff like that and people doing voices and it's it's really fun and it's on our podcast feed the history of westeros podcast feed not in our video feed <laughs> we don't have a video version of it just the podcast feed so yeah it's only about 10 minutes long because that chapter is uh Short and not fully yep. published, I think, but it has a nice stopping point. So it feels like a full chapter, even though it's short. Yeah, mm. we can fool ourselves for now, you know, just like Victorian himself. <laughs> and we will link that below. Yeah. We'll link uh, a link to maybe okay. to the iTunes or to somewhere, whichever one, or your website with that, just so you all can check it out, especially for our patrons that are going to be listening to that episode very soon. Well, if you want to keep track of when our new episodes come out as well, including that Victorian 1 or Victorian 2 dance chapter, depending on how you want to look at it, right? Technically, it's the first one entitled Victorian, but it's the second Victorian chapter. Anyways, you can subscribe to us on social media at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N, or perhaps you have thoughts that you would like to tell us about Victorian, about the Trojan War, about laughter or pus, you can at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, please just like, warn us on the subject line and that way yeah. Eliana will know she should open it and I shouldn't. Uh, and if you are looking for updates on when our episodes are coming out, you should subscribe to us if you have not already on a podcast feed near you, whatever is your favorite, whether that is Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, Amazon, Pandora, and many, many, many other platforms you can find on the internet that I say every single week and yet I don't remember, please check us out there, like, and subscribe. What are you waiting for? <laughs> that is the journey, isn't it? Seeing all of the platforms. Every Some, week. So many. Always, they make you swear and swear. <laughs> subscribe and subscribe. What's weird is how they're all becoming more and more like each other. Mm. <laughs> I, have, I, I have thoughts about Spotify. Spotify. They're learning. Anyway, somewhere that you can definitely always find us is on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where patrons in the $5 tier and above get access to bonus episodes. For example, Meet House Man this past March, which almost was like March House Man, but then that did not actually make it. Um, I thought about it. Meet House March? Anyways. Um, <laughs> Meet House Madness? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then this month is, again, that wins Victorian chapter maybe you've caught winds of it <laughs> and of course we will be announcing soon our brunch for the month uh so keep an eye peeled out for that for discord and patrons in the thunder tier and above yeah nothing quite beats march shroom madness you know march shroom madness was yeah. my favorite it's hard oh. it's it's okay meat house madness <laughs> you just put out your mushroom episode recently didn't you aziz yeah, the testimony of mushroom. We had we had uh, Doctor Kavita on, so that Dr. was Finn, yes. particularly awesome. Wonderful. Yeah, she she's awesome. She we, she has a theory, you know, her theory that mushroom was not a person at all. It was just a invention. Whoever, I mean, because he he didn't write it himself. So mm. there's a lot it's of gossip girl. Just, it's know. literally gossip girl. Yeah. Yeah. 
XOXO. It's a great theory. Yeah. So we had fun with I that. I love that. Yeah. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. See. Thank you so much to our other hosts this week. <laughs> Bye. That's you, Aziz. Mm. Thanks, <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>